I snacked a snack that's made of cheese. Twas baked into a tiny cracker. But yeah, it exists. There is a movie from like 1986 where Matthew Broderick needs to rescue chimps from a military base. When Jimmy Garrett joined the Air Force, he knew he'd learn about leadership. He'd work with space-age technology. This is going to be a whole new experience. I just hope I'm up to it. No, not you. Them. These are monkeys. But he never thought he'd meet anyone like Virgil. Be a good boy, okay? Come here. Be a good little chimp. There's an iconic scene where they, um, I think, like, the one ape is flying a nuclear simulator. He's got, like, nuclear warheads attached to his simulator or something. And it's supposed to develop, like, radiation resistance in the the chimps. Okay. And he needs to, like, be in that simulator for some reason. And he ends up becoming, like, the sacrificial lamb. Like, he's the hero ape. In the scenario, he, he's able to survive, like, all the radiation. And then Broderick finally turns off the machine and rescues him. And he's too radiated to survive. Oh. But he's also got a smoking habit that Broderick discovered, like, earlier in the film. And so oh, he, gives please the ape, he gives the ape his last smoke before he dies. <laughs> and there's, like, a, a moment of, like, eye contact between the two while he's taking his last drags on the smoke. <laughs> oh, my God, that's beautiful. So it's like a combination of like war games and the first half of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. (laughs) (laughs) And I recommend it. It's a good film. What's this movie called? I think it's called Project X. Oh, when is this? Like early 90s? Is this... Mm -hmm. It's around Ferris Bueller time. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds great. (laughs) And I get it confused with uh, with war games too because I feel like they're the same movie. I've only seen War Games maybe on TV a long time ago. I remember thinking this is one of the most ridiculous fucking movies I've ever seen. You didn't like it? It's a good hacker movie. I I feel like I probably would need to watch it now, but I saw it as a teenager on TV and was just like, eh, next. Moved on. It's it's rad because it uh, it gets into that classic, how do we defeat the machine? We'll get it to play itself in tic-tac-toe. The whole time I was watching it, I felt like there should be mystery science theater commentary going over it. (laughs) Maybe that's why I turned it off. Those guys are missing uh, an amazing marketing opportunity. They really should be able. You really should be able to like have a Netflix setting where anything that's on, you can just turn on the Mystery Science Theater mode, and they'll do wacky commentary. That on was top so- of House of Cards, or that was actually sort of their goal. They started a company called Riff Tracks, and Riff mm-hmm. Tracks is the most of the same guys and also other like collaborative comedians, and they just make fun of modern movies. And they must have some kind of a licensing deal set up because you have to buy their commentary tracks for actual movies. But, you know, you could have gotten a, a Riff Tracks thing for, you know, Sharknado or whatever, something that came out last year, done completely Mystery Science Theater style. Mm-hmm. But you got to pay like eight bucks for it or something like that. Yeah, and uh, the guys at Red Letter Media have been doing that for Bandcamp. They'll, yeah. They'll release like. Uh, commentary tracks for star wars or whatever for a couple of bucks if you yeah. want to download it it's, it's a pretty good idea but yeah i think that it needs the the couch mode where in netflix you can just press the button and they pop up from the bottom of the screen like the toasty guy from mortal Kombat. yeah it will it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what they do now that they're coming back mm-hmm. they're they've crowdfunded a gigantic amount of money it's pretty crazy how much money they actually got like millions of dollars um one would hope that they will 
licensed some popular bad movies and not i mean like i I feel they did like 200 plus episodes of the old series so they've done the 80s b movie thing to death Mm -hmm. now it is time for like someone to properly ream the room Mm -hmm. or you know sharknado i mean people have done it but it's mystery science series and they got Patton oswald on board and all these like pretty great uh, great names they need a black guy so they can start doing friday and all the all these other (laughs) all these other all the wayans wayans brothers movies the hundreds of wayans brothers movies that are in that leslie nelson style where it's only funny when you're 12 yeah oh and i i saw a poster for one the other day i'd never seen it before i I, the, the name escapes me but it was just of a basketball player just about to miss the net like with a dunk and then marlon wayans was an angel behind him like <laughs> hoisting him up to head dunk so it was a lot like angels in the outfield but just like a black basketball version of it i just wanted to watch that movie so bad it'd be fun for us to set up a new time capsule to be opened a thousand years from now and we just put in it the worst examples of culture we know trying to be highbrow about it like the voyager pro like season one of <laughs> honey boo boo on dvd and angels in the outfield and angels in the outfield project x uh <laughs> like the brief period in which like screamo music was popular we'll just put a whole discography of like sunfire i'm sure people still like that there's i mean day glow day glow clothes <laughs> Fubu, <laughs> but no, but like, but f- just photos of white kids wearing Fubu, like that, that example of Fubu clothing. What did it really stand for? Fear us, bias, uh, or for us, bias? I think. Oh, I think it was like a, that's more, which makes positive. it even funnier that the only people I ever saw wearing it in my hometown were like tacky white kids, <laughs> suburban white kids, <laughs> suburban white kids who were like, yo, yo, G unit. Jessica has been working at. Um, a private school that's primarily uh, middle class Asian kids <clears throat> and yeah. like all high schools fashion's a big deal and I'm cu- like where the fuck do people I remember being 14 yeah. 13 and being like completely illiterate about fashion and you just have like be surrounded by these people that are all having conversations about what the hot new thing is where the fuck yeah. did they learn all this stuff back then or yeah. now well, in general, and why do they care? Well, I mean, especially since high school is such a sort of like drama set piece of your life. It's where you get so much of your angry bickering and your dramatic relationship mm-hmm. started. That's yeah. where like you learn about all that kind of stuff. I think the the fashion statements are more dramatic and more solid, and like you you strive to want to be part of those big strong cliques of people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's always confused me too. And then now I guess it's just stuff like Tumblr and like Pinterest and stuff like that keeps everyone thoroughly informed on what's cool like today, this yeah. exact day. I think it would just make me even more weird because I when I was twelve years old, me and my friend Richard Highfield were into like Weird Al Yankovic and stuff like yeah. that. We completely didn't get grunge or anything. Yeah, and uh, I feel like. Nowadays, there's so much media that you could become completely obsessed and be, you know, just be a like wall-to-wall Pee-wee Herman. <laughs> That's all that makes sense to me in this fucked-up world. You can order the clothes. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, yeah. Now, internet culture has spawned just merchandising and illegitimate merchandising for everything. Anything you really want, you could find someone to make it for you mm-hmm. on the internet. 
anything you want. Like, if you want to just, like, uh, you remember in Jaws how he's got that one suit, or just a suit jacket that's covered in anchors? It's like a the really mayor. great the mayor yeah, of the he's, town. He's yeah, got like a, yeah yeah yeah. He's got like a just a wicked like anchor nautical blazer jacket. Guarantee you, there's like a retailer out there that sells that exact same jacket right now. I hope it's affordable. I kind of want one now. Oh, great I w- movie. I went down a fetish uh, gear hole uh, yesterday. I was doing research for a music <laughs> video. <laughs> okay, and. Uh, I, I was trying to find uh, inflatable latex outfits because I have this idea for for kind of round characters and I didn't want to like use a lot of padding. So right. I was like, oh, inflatables, that'd be cool. And within two clicks, I was on like a fetish gear website. And apparently there's a whole subset of fetish gear that's like inflatable gimp wear. Okay. And it's 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 head to toe latex and it's 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 like it's like surrounding yourself in a giant tire so you inflate the suit and it crushes your body on the inside and also makes your outside kind of puffy what yeah and they have it goes like full body so you look like a gingerbread man and so it's like putting crazy pressure on your head and stuff like that yeah your whole body oh that's a that's a whole another level of give bullshit Mm. i didn't know Mm -hmm. that's crazy and it would also make you float i imagine so that'd be kind of fun to jump in the lake or something wearing something like that um and then also on the same website there was a whole um list of furry themed um animal vinyls and it it was almost like you know those pool toys the vinyl pool toys that you blow up yeah it was in the shape of a human though so you climb inside it and then you inflate it and you have the proportions of a bullfrog, you know, like the big thighs and the big feet and stuff like that. I don't know how you fuck in it, but I imagine that's what it's for. So this is just a further affirmation for myself that anytime something is invented on either like the clean or dirty side of life, there's a mirrored object being invented on the opposite side like you know someone comes up with the idea for bubble suit soccer and creates big inflatable bubble suits that people can like have fun and run around in and simultaneously like 300 miles away a guy is coming up with a bubble suit that crushes your bones while you fuck (laughs) like holds you down and makes it feels like someone's trying to squeeze your head like a melon (laughs) while you get reamed by a rubber fist and how and like I mean it's just such a it always comes down to me of like how do you how did you ever realize that you like that how did you ever realize that you wanted to climb inside of a of a pressure suit and get like squeezed well that's the the, the beauty of the internet right like people are in this experimental phase in their teenage years and they can just scroll through all the different channels until they find a guy in some sort of vinyl horse outfit having sex with you know somebody <laughs> else dressed as a fox and they go. I've never come that hard. I think that I might be a furry. But the thing that I find crazy is um, is how quickly everything is becoming mainstream because right. we can all get brought up to speed. There's not a lot of time for that vacuum ch- those that vacuum where the rumors are more popular than the real thing and the dread and the misunderstandings can be um, dangerous. Yeah. We we get like uh, this the first hand information, and it becomes boring so quickly that I wouldn't be surprised if we're ten years away from a furry kind of thing happening 
in high schools where like people are just allowed to wear their Funks costume all the time. And well, there's like a certain amount of like allocated exercise under the law that like applies to a fox that doesn't apply to a human. Like, he doesn't need to, his times tables. All he needs to be able to do is frolic in the meadow and catch what, mice. What you're saying, Jesse, is slippery slope. <laughs> you say we're on a slippery slope right now to kids in high school dressing up like furries. And it being the law that they can. <laughs> I'm saying enabling them to become the foxes that they already are. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Furries scare the shit out of me. I won't lie. <laughs> they, don't, they don't scare me. I'm not scared. I wouldn't say scare or like fright. More, more confuse and terrify me. <laughs> I get it. I understand it. There's there's something uh, undeniably attractive about a horse. <laughs> They're very muscular. They've got beautiful <laughs> hair. Smooth contours. <laughs> Giant cocks. Mm, <laughs> sea biscuit. <laughs> and then there's dolphins. They have a whole different thing kind of going on. They're so sleek. And they and the, Are you trying what, to tell me something? <laughs> what was that uh, opening credit sequence from that lesbian program where the dolphins? <laughs> You don't remember that HBO show with, about the lesbians? I believe you're talking about the L word. Yeah, it didn't have footage of, of dolphins like fingering one another with their flippers. <laughs> that was what the opening credits were. <laughs> no, I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> we'll have to look that up later because that sounds pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> we need an intern on this show that could just call up different stuff that we're So, yeah, down that route, brainstorming. I did think uh, incorporating... Even even just one of us being uh, being laptop ready on pretty much anything that the, the other is saying, if just if just for uh, following up on the weird news stories that I was hoping we'd kind of each write down mm. and that kind of thing. I I think it's a uh, it was an idea I've had recently, especially living where I am right now, where it's a weird gentrification space. Everything's changing, and all the the people who that's live the in story that of your life. Yeah, absolutely. We're now my home that's like pretty affordable and the area that's pretty like relaxed and quiet is going to change in the next couple of years. There's a condo being built up the street, 24-hour grocery store, a bunch of nice lofts, a brand new ghost station. So that whole area is being clusterfucked into like a much higher class area than anyone there is used to. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this like great bizarre uh you know duality uh when you're walking around of seeing someone who just bought a loft in a church right around the corner from your house and is like dressed in the nines and is like clearly going to the airport dragging like a suitcase behind them intersecting with like a can lady who's <laughs> mumbling to herself and just screaming and has a, a shopping cart full of cans and then just like crossing paths Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of this like beautiful trains crossing in the night that I'm seeing all the time in my mm-hmm. neighborhood where it's like right in the middle. I don't I don't know that I've ever been right in the middle of it like this where the neighborhood went from Cracktown to like Richville in you know the course of six months because the annex was already sort of there. It was already a little bit out of our price range when we were living there. We just got lucky with Bodden and Joanne being not super greedy at the time, I guess, or just not willing to put the work in to actually get money out of that place. Your responsibility. Your responsibility was a big part of it, um, which allowed us to just reap the benefits of that 
huge house, which we'll probably never know again in this fucking city. <laughs> um, but now uh, I'm like, I'm terrified to see what the annex becomes. I haven't been really walking through there very often, but on my way out, it just, everything sort of seemed bizarre and different. And the idea that Honest Ed's was being torn down was looming closer and closer. You could sort of feel it. Mm-hmm. And then now this year's last year. And, you know, it's going to be, you know, they're not going to give out any turkeys this year. There's going to be a certain sense of loss to the neighborhood that you'll never get back with losing Honest Ed's and, like, the Mervish Village strip. Because as much as they say they're going to maintain that Mervish Village area, they said they were going to they were gonna maintain the existing shop infrastructure on Markham Street mm-hmm. and subtly <clears throat> and discreetly uh, expand it. So right. somehow, like, they want to keep probably the Central and Victory Cafe, that kind of stuff, put them covered up and expand them into, like, bigger and more profitable businesses. But that certainly means death for, like, Suspect Video and The Beguiling and, like, the movie paraphernalia and, like, prop antique store that's across the street. That no one goes to. That no one goes to, but has existed there as long as I've... Yeah, it's... uh, that area is going to lose something, I mean, even worse than losing Sonic Boom across the street or, you know, certain bars are changing around or closing up. Uh, it's it's going to be a thousand new people who can afford to live in condo class family units, right, with almost no new infrastructure At put in. At the same in. time, though, you can't go backwards. And, I mean, the thing about that Honest Ed's area, um, having lived beside it for a number of years... yeah. You do get the feeling when you walk into a place like that novelty mo- movie, uh, movie poster place, they're kind of surprised to see. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you walk through Honest Ed's and that place was a pit, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically people like the sign, but it's a Walmart. It yeah. has the same garbage as Walmart. Cheaper it hasn't been renovated. and not, not well organized. Everyone who works there looks completely depressed. Yeah. Because they they have to they have to organize something that doesn't have any organization system in place. (laughs) Where do I put this pile five? (laughs) Go for it. Um, but I mean it it does represent something more than just it's more than the sum of its parts, right? Sure. The fact that it it has this sort of it's it sort of was the plug on the neighborhood from getting to too ahead of itself mm-hmm. from letting the gentrification get out of control and letting all the places just upscale and upscale and upscale. Sonic Boom left and got replaced by the Dollarama. And then that is, that's truly like, and then it also it coincided coming. with the, the renovation of the Blur Cinema. Blur Cinema. Which again, is, it, is cool. It's hot docs now. It's a new kind of thing and that place really needed renovation. Yeah, um, you can have a beer but, in there, but it's it feels sterile. And Bukowski talked about this. He was talking about um, gentrification in Hollywood, yeah, and how it's a shame it it, re- it removes some of the poetry from a, a place when you clean it up too much, because it's the poor people kind of add color to your neighborhood as as much as it is um, as much as people like to try to avoid the harsher side of life. You know, those people have stories, and they need a place to live. Well, and it's like the the reason people romanticize, like, 70s and 80s downtown New York, like Five Boroughs, New York, is not because it was that clean, like, well-oiled machine of commerce. It was like a dirty place with gangs and, uh, like, cultural problems and race problems and 
like hate and stuff but like you that, also but had room for anybody could come and try to make it yeah and so it, there was room for <clears throat> somebody who's talented and wants to make it as a writer they can move to new york city and coexist be able to live in like a shitty apartment and be able to like possibly make a connection with that guy with the rolly suitcase who might be able to give them the opportunities that they need to go to the next level yeah to be discovered fran lebowitz talks about that about how new york city has become boring it's it's also and, it's an inspiring landscape in which i feel like in one's life people who people who surround themselves with too much literal beauty mm-hmm. uh fail to exercise the muscle that helps them find deeper beauty in the total disgusting and awful parts of the the world. Yeah, right? that's a good point. It's, you know, you go and you live and it's with the, the people who retire and they go to Florida and they get a trailer and they don't ever have to do anything to it and they just sort of live this like, well, I, I've worked all my life and like this is true beauty and then you get bored and you rot and you die in Florida of like swampiness and you don't die any more enlightened or any more relaxed or comfortable than you were when you stopped working. You sort of hit this plateau of stale uh, complacency. And like I've always had this strange fascination that I can't quite describe with – and I know it, it like sounds cheesy when you say the individual like components of this aesthetic, but like – rusty fire escapes and like flickering fluorescent bulbs and dirty back alley laundromats things like this uh actually stand out as more vivid images in my mind and and have these sort of more intricate beauties to them than you know something that everyone finds obviously beautiful like a fucking sunset behind mount fuji (laughs) is going to be like literally very beautiful unless you had a broken brain it would be hard for you to not be like well that's the most goddamn beautiful thing i've seen today (laughs) it's it's life's not always about that it's not always about being spoon-fed that literal beauty all the time there's there's so much worth in like the underside of things um as as gross and as like uh unappetizing as it might yeah. appear to be and i thought i thought uh what came to mind when what you were saying earlier too about people who are provided with perfection how they they rot like really quickly yeah it's funny it might be that uh that the search is what humans are designed they're they're, they're designed and modified and programmed to be stimulated by the search for comfort and for aesthetic beauty and all that kind of stuff and when you find it all and it comes too easily, it's almost like turning on God mode in a video game. It yeah. suddenly like becomes worthless and boring. You get and you bored go, in 15 minutes. Hmm, and that's, that's why I've never understood uh, uh, religion as an option for me or any super concrete belief. Whenever someone tells me that this is the like the fix. answer or like this is just the way it is, even when it's like hard scientific evidence, I always second guess someone's claim is like, oh, this is the practical model of how physics works. I'm like, well, yeah, as far as like we figured it out, but there's always more. And the second that we say stuff like that and we go, well, this is how it works is the second that we stop discovering any more of the truth, right? It's that like allowing yourself to become complacent in like one truth closes the doors to every other new truth. And that's why like religion scares me more than it comforts me. When I asked the question of, and I ask this to myself literally every day, especially these days, like, what happens when I die? I'm just, like, terrified 
again of that over and over in my life. I find these big periods where I can't stop thinking about that Mm. and not in like a super negative way, but I'm just like, I'm ultimately curious uh, as well as terrified, but I'm, I just don't want to resolve it to an answer as simple as like a, a God or a heaven or any like one sort of pathway. It seems like, it seems like the question is so great. Like it's, truly like human humanity's greatest question above all else right there's nothing else that could be possibly more important to an individual human anyways maybe to to mankind on a whole like on our kind of being cogs of the machine and keeping humanity going there are more important questions but to an individual person what happens when you die and like where do you go if anywhere is there anything uh there it's that's bottom line most important thing it's what we're all really trying to figure out we get we get the answer just a moment too late, which is unfortunate. And I feel like people who spend their life being like, "Well, I already have the answer. I already know what's going to happen to me after they die." They're depriving themselves of like a really interesting journey, mm-hmm. where you sp- you spend different periods <clears throat> of your life believing different things or expecting different things, and never really being quite sure. Like the mystery of it all is probably the most intriguing thing about it is just being confused about it, not being sure. Right. It's like the God mode thing again of, you know, if you you turn on God mode, you know, well, like, nothing, nothing I do in this game matters now. Like, I can take any risk. I can jump off any ledge, and I'm not going to be punished for it because I know that there's just going to be another life for me after. That's – you're sucking the fucking joy right out of your life. <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's a it's a pretty, a pretty big question, the biggest question. <laughs> the biggest question. Well, yeah. <clears throat> so – this is this is the dawn of season two of the Idea Grave, and changes need to be made. Mm-hmm. I've got some ideas. You've got a lot of ideas on how to shake this shit up. I think it's even just simple format. I think uh, I, I've I've re-listened to almost every episode, including <laughs> including the ones including the ones I was not. I've listened to them all. Uh, the length is t- is too long. Hmm. Being being someone who listens to podcasts all the time, and I'll listen to like six episodes of a podcast in a row. Right. Um, the <clears throat> the singularness of that episode of like an episode being two and a half hours long is too much. I I, f- I find it unwieldy and at times interminable. Where I'm like I'm just <laughs> the I, I'm wishing that there were there were like a segment that would force us out of a certain idea. Even even just the way that you just were like, well, fuck this whole religion conversation because that can't really go anywhere. Like the question of death. I mean, not, not that you like intentionally did that or like, but that's just that's a good instinct. <laughs> oh, sure. It's a good instinct and, to and cut off a dead and, uh, end. It, it's part of just like empathy because I don't have that kind of reflection. Like I almost yeah. never think about that kind of stuff. So I don't really know what I would add to. Right. Absolutely. And I don't want to buzzkill. Like, if yeah, yeah. no, 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 absolutely. And, and, and I was actually being like, ah, you know, I should probably just move on from this. <laughs> uh, this is just my own, uh, neuroses, uh, coming out. But one of the reasons I have sort of pitched the write down anything you find weird in your day, the weirdest thing that you find in your day, just good, kind of starting off points that don't necessarily have to be a part of a overall like segment or theme of just like good cut points Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think cutting a little bit is well i remember initially when we started doing this you had a really great idea about 
going through an existing episode and the segments that you think work as a standalone thing, yeah, that's you turn it thing. into a mini-sode and then it's part of the feed. Because yeah. there's podcasts that I really like that release, like On Being is a really good podcast. Yeah. And she has the pr- uh, the produced version and she has the uncut version. The uncut yeah. version is on SoundCloud and you can download it. And for the people who want all that nuance and the things that seem like segues to a lot of people are the things that I really like. Because yeah. sometimes you get a lot of insight on somebody like Seth Godin or whatever um, by listening to them ramble off the cuff about what they had for lunch yeah. that you don't get when they're on, on script all the time. Yeah. So, and, and that's, you know, I like that too. And the, the interlude is, is good, but what, yeah, that original idea of, you know, we could take a central theme of just, you know, uh, whatever. I'm sure (laughs) when I'm not going to drop a theme right now, but I'm sure we listen back to those episodes. We could do a season one redo where we cut down to like six or seven central themes it could be called the seinfeld hour and we're just like what's the deal with people not moving back on the bus what's the deal how many times do you have to be told when's jerry gonna get a new series (laughs) um and yeah i think i think it's really important to watch length more Mm -hmm. i think the real sweet spot hour and 20 hour and 30 with to to shoot for anyways is a good guideline to keep it uh keep us on track mm-hmm. i found i found there was a lot of uh there's a lot of off track moments which okay. is good which is good but i but also on both of our parts where just there were coincidental tangents tangential moments of uh of just real real off topic where we, where we sort of cut our, even cut ourselves off of a good line of thinking and a good uh, conversation. Oh, okay. So you're thinking that by structuring it, we'll get down to the deep cuts. We'll get down to the, the gold. We'll keep on digging instead of yeah. changing subject and go like, oh, you're onto something there. What the fuck? Why don't I, we talk more about mosquitoes? I think uh, I was thinking about Tarantino said uh, something about how he wanted to do 10 movies in his lifetime. The whole the, – he would direct – 10 movies and 10 movies only. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that being that he was setting himself uh, a loose deadline. Like, at some point, he was going to find himself between his ninth and 10th movie and know, okay, well, this is almost it if I'm going to stick to my guns. And in that moment, uh, the the frantic emotions behind, oh, this is almost over, and and... Also, the, well, I have to make this good, the expectation of the 10th movie would cause him to create his true masterpiece that would make all the rest of his nine movies seem like practice for his 10th, what he would like deem his, like, diamond. And I think there's a lot of truth to that um, in when you know that there's some end point. There's going to be a, a moment where we suddenly go, oh, shit. You David know, Bowie Blackstar. We're getting pretty close to the end here. Yeah, you make something that's uh, more for you, I think, too. You, like, you create something that's more spontaneous and a little more driven rather than allowing yourselves the comfort to aside yourself all the time and go into like explanations of your ideas. I think it's okay to assume people know where you're coming from in certain respects. That's something that we need structure for because then 
we don't need to do it. <sighs> yeah, I think I feel it's it's a it's an explanation. Oh, yeah, I'm losing my train of thought here. You know what other podcasts this. do? What? They constantly introduce themselves every 15 <laughs> minutes. I'm Jesse Yules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or like coming back from break. The breaks, the breaks too this are is just break. like breaks are breaks are really good moments. Brendan loves the breaks. Well, do you get uncomfortable in the chair? What's the deal? And then the thing that's frustrating is as soon as you stand up, you say something else that's amazing, and then you go like, "Oh fuck, it wasn't recorded." Yeah, that's true. That does happen. Um, sometimes I just need a break to breathe. And to like collect thoughts, I get, I get a clusterfuck of ideas going on in my head, mm-hmm. and I start not being able to really process what's going on. I need to like take a breath, take a beat for a second. It's also it's it's a good, it's just a good another like a, just that good kind of cut point of when you feel as if you've exhausted a conversation and the segues out of it aren't leading anywhere which mm-hmm. happens right in a conversation mm-hmm. uh someone just has the wherewithal to say take a break <laughs> then you have five minutes and you can move on again like and then another Decompress. weird point yeah I'm just, i'm like i i listen to a lot of podcasts these days it's like i'm writing something right now so i'm listening to a lot of podcasts or like whenever i'm playing video games to relax i'm just constantly listening to podcasts no matter what and I've been really like branching out, experimenting with new podcasts, different stuff. I I normally stick in the range of comedy because like you know, I'm already depressed, and so comedy really helps keep like the levity in my life and keep me from getting too serious about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was I'm, I was finding what I found distasteful in a podcast, and like what I didn't like about certain episodes of ours, certain episodes of other podcasts, and it was really uh, not knowing when to say when. Right. <laughs> letting 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 something letting the cart get away from you. Okay. You know, and and the, But I feel like that's contradictory because like on the one hand you're saying stick to the topic and on the other hand you're saying know when to say when. Yes, yeah, st- stick to the topic while it's interesting. Because we don't I, I feel like we don't have that problem at all knowing when to say when because we don't talk about anything more than seven or eight minutes. <laughs> that's that's true. It's hard <laughs> to keep on topic. Uh, but again, yeah, all things that we could think about. I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts <clears throat> having like, we've taken my, some time. My feeling, um, you know, we're both busy. Yeah. We both have lives and stuff. And I think that I get like a huge buzz. I have, I find it like really, really fun to record yeah. just the unedited two hour right. um, podcast things. It's not work at all. I don't have to put any kind of stress into it. Yeah. It's, um, and I also find that like, it's a nice kind of um, tool now that my friends have all moved off to different places. It's a great way to, to, to keep intimacy with friends that are living in other cities and stuff. Yeah. Cause they can feel like um, they're, they're still spending time with you. They, you get a really good insight into what's going on in a person's head by listening to them just babble for two hours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that like, what I'd really like to see in the feed is if we want to do more produced things like 10 minute jokey segments where we do some sort of riff on, uh, you know, Donald Trump or whatever. Hey, yeah, that's not exactly can, what I'm saying. It but... can be um, like mini sodes like in the feed that are kind of edited and produced, I think is a, is a great idea. Yeah. And some other things I was thinking like really like quick 
sort of ideas of, you know, a guest is a super important thing, but the dynamic between the two of us is something that, like, is good as a preamble to that. And I, I, as I was listening to the two different things, I realized what we were doing was either one or the other where we should have been doing uh, a half and half mixture of both. Right. In which first segment, you and I, and the other person should probably be in the room. Yeah. Cans on, mic off. Just like not not a thing yet. We'll keep him in a gimp box with a lock on it. No, but just <laughs> as, as Bring a, out the guest. As an in the room thing cause, because the guest – the second half of actually bringing that person in will then sort of like direct the conversation mm-hmm. to them, but also will feed up like a number of things in the like sort of preamble that can be sort of interwoven into that conversation. And that gives us a good time to do something like uh, weirdest thing I heard all week. And we'll talk about that. Or just Segments. Like, just a, even just one, one opening thing that sort of sets the tone and it's not just like this meandering, like we come in and sit down and it's already recording and we're eating into the... I mean, that's funny. That's good stuff. <laughs> I like that as B-roll and I like that as like before the theme song maybe. Like before we play a song, we have like a little bit of us, an off aside of us. The show m- before the show. A show before the show, munching peanuts, talking tang, talking bullshit. Uh, that's that I'm into. And then intro song and then a proper just like... Something where we're bouncing ideas off each other. We're going to get to our guests. Oh, and the the sponsors. Speaking of which, this idea grave is brought to you by New Beginnings. Brent. uh, With Brennan and Jesse. Deciding what to do with ourselves and our lives in general. I'm unemployed. Hire me. It's also brought to you by Original Brand Vaseline, which I've fallen in love with this year. It's a tremendous lubricant. Petroleum-based. Petroleum-based. Very simple. It's probably the main ingredient in all those fancy lotions. I have a, tell you. I have like a, a skin lotion that's just like mainly Vaseline. It's mm-hmm. like a Vaseline for men. It's in a black black bottle. <laughs> it's the exact same as the... It's just unscented for men. The Duke. The Duke. <laughs> Duke brand. Um, And then, you know, one of the other things too that I was thinking about is if we wanted to just constantly do the podcast in a room, like why wouldn't we have just settled with something that was more sedentary? We have this portable recording device and like our only attempts at making podcasts in like different open locations air. in open air. Nuit Blanche. We're just, I mean, Nuit Blanche was good. I, I enjoyed Nuit Blanche. I think if we'd been a bit more prepared for that, um, if I if I had had a little more to drink, I think I I think that would have been better. Um, Hidden camera show. Uh, I I just think that we need to approach long winter again, or first Thursdays or whatever. We need to do uh, a second go, but proper setup this time. No room for error because I feel like there was so much, especially the first one that we did. We were talking about relationships with uh, your friend Jess at the AGO yes was fucking gold there was okay. a there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened that day that could have been cut together into like an hour and 20 minutes of really really like good 
podcasting. Yeah. Whereas we we lost so much of that to just. You know what you need to do is you need to take the old episodes and just download them and make um, your own cuts of the stuff. I probably will do that, but I'm thinking more toward the future of like, you know, we got our footing with season one. I feel like we know we can talk to each other and to someone else pretty comfortably for two and a half hours without running out of things to say or being too repetitious. We do end up in some of the same idea traps from episode to episode. That's fine. It's fine. It creates a consistency in our personalities, which there is. Uh, But now it's time to expand that idea outside of just the, the simple sort of basic conversation format now where we can be a little more risky in what we're doing in that, you know, Let's go. I I wish we had. I wish we had gotten to this idea a little sooner because there's the long winter coming up at the Galleria Mall this weekend. <gasps> They're doing like a huge show and art thing inside Galleria Mall, and it was like they sold out crazy tickets. There was just like a huge interest in it. Um, would have been an insane place to do a podcast, and we it's big enough. We would have gotten away with it without any sort of like noise pollution. We actually could have done. The same thing we did at the AGO, but properly with the proper recording. We know it works on the go now because we did the whole Nuit Blanche thing and the audio sounds completely fine. Could have used a bit of tweaking here and there, but for the most part, it was good. Uh, that that idea just needs to be revisited. So you want to interview properly. people. You want to be a journalist. Not necessarily. We just have friends that are interesting that we've already sort of done that thing with. You know what? I, the, the the thing that drives me crazy though is that um, it's funny how quickly people become generic whenever you try to ask them questions about their work, especially if they're people like our friends. We're all B and C listers, right? Like we're kind of <laughs> yeah. struggling artists, and so there's a lot of insecurity about where people are with their work and where people think it's going in the future. And I find that, like, when people are faced with questions that touch on any of that kind of stuff, they're not honest. You end then, up getting, like, canned answers, and then I'm like, uh, we may as well just talk about who the, you are as but a person. But that's, then that's, <clears throat> that's not even what I want, right. really, is to ask people about their work. Uh, I feel like having people who are on who are artists, it's not really about... Uh, let's have a conversation about our art. Let's like circle jerk about the fact that we all do stuff mm-hmm. is that that person is already like a, a subjugant creative that is going to participate in a conversation in a way that's like positive and forthcoming. The, the stuff about their own work will come naturally so long as like the conversation is sort of like loose and flowing enough. Yeah. I mean like I don't uh, like when we have when we had Dean on. Like, there's definitely a point in which, like, we both defaulted to just being like, so what's up with Odonis Odonis? He doesn't fucking want to talk about that. I know, but that's the only reason why you would have somebody from a band and acknowledge it. Yeah, but... all I'm saying is... But but we're given an uh, opportunity to peer into the beauty that is Dean on just a personal level, mm -hmm. which is, if you've ever had a conversation that's lasted more than a minute with that guy, you're like, who is this magical pixie man and his hilarious laugh? Mm -hmm. And... That's the person that I would rather have. So you're on the imagining podcast. something more like Bill Maher's show, where it's people of note, but they talk about um, a something specific completely topic different. and they debate. A really, a really hilarious sort of uh, example of this is the Trailer Park Boys now have a podcast that they've okay. been doing. It's like they do a video ad aspect of it, which is probably the more interesting part of it because the video aspect has them all sitting around smoking joints and drinking beer. <laughs> um, 
but they sort they sort of have this thing where with the Ricky character, he he has written down like a list of news stories that he's seen that he thinks are are interesting. But because he doesn't know how to write or or really how to remember, <laughs> he, he, he gets he, them wrong. Well, he just writes down like really simple ideas, and then they have to look them up on the computer. Bubbles like what? What? What about duck plastic dicks? What? And then they have to like go on the computer and, be like, and look it up and be like, he's right. They're making fake dicks for ducks, <laughs> and and they discover this story through yeah. Ricky's like super limited. That's perspective. actually a really good idea because they don't have to put as much time into production. And it's just as funny as watching the Trailer Bark Boys show. Because they're in character discovering these ridiculous news stories that we would all find entertaining. And then these, like, you know, in these characters that are lovable and sort of the mm-hmm. beheld as Canadian icons now mm-hmm. are giving them to you. They're reading you these, like, news pieces, which uh, I, the more I think about it, the more is just what all the podcasts are turning into now is just, like, s- someone whose voice you trust. Sure. And whose work you respect on some level or just like mm-hmm. marginally feeding you stuff you could probably just read Data. on Reddit. Yeah. They're, they're audio aggregators for like Reddit and Tumblr and Imager content. Oh, yeah. 99% Invisible is just Wikipedia articles, basically. Uh, with, I, I, with, with, I, with Roman Mars have talking you ever seen really uh, soothingly. Have you ever heard uh, the Fogelnest Files? Jake nope. Fogelnest. It's an Earwolf podcast. Been around for a while. I'm not sure Earwolf. if he actually still does it. Uh, Fogelnest Files is just um, he finds funny uh, videos on the internet, much okay. like Tosh Boy type of stuff. But but more more themed and weird. Like he's more the guy who's gonna find like an everything is terrible type piece of content Mm -hmm. maybe not from everything is terrible but like a piece of weird 80s nostalgia that's super bizarre he's gonna have you know your scott ackermans or like any like comedian dude come on and they'll just watch that and let it launch off into what do you think of this what do you think of this and then another podcast improv for humans Mm. matt best's podcast it's an improv podcast where he has improv comedians on they talk about stuff that happens in their life and then whenever they think they're onto something. He sort of rings a bell, and they just cut immediately to a scene. They yeah. all just like assume a role. Um, but a part of their show is uh, crap on YouTube, which one of their improv scenes is fed directly from just some YouTube clip that he's found or has been fed into him. You there. know what you have to do, my friend. Your homework assignment is to come up with one of these schemes, one of these ways to structure an episode plan it tell me what day you want to record it and we record it yeah that's what absolutely. we gotta do and i i think that's make good this happen but, but a more prolific recording schedule than we had before i, I like that idea i do want to commit to it more um the 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 idea of, of doing it in other places sort of excites me too where now that i mean this winter's practically more than half done at this point it's been super tame so it's really not going to be too unwieldy for us to go to maybe the next long winter or first Thursday that they do. Yeah, Fibre- that's February's not a problem. Coming up. I could just send a couple emails. They'll let us come and interview yeah. people. I mean, even if we could uh, somehow get into this one at the Galleria. When is that happening? Saturday, 30th. Tomorrow? Tomorrow's the 29th. Day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. There's a in, taking over the whole Galleria. It's probably, I mean, it's sold out. It's probably the only way either of us would get in. 
is is one benefit to that where we'll be able to go see a fucking pretty interesting show. Um, right. And, you know, like, there's going to be people there. Uh, Bun's Training Zone is doing, like, a pop-up shop there. And so Emily Francis, the girl who does Bun's Training Zone, is likely to be there. Perfect person to talk about uh, pretty much anything going on in Toronto with because she's at the heart of this intensely bizarre and, like, very rapidly growing community. Do you know Bun's Trading Zone? Have you, like, been exposed to this yet? I understand that these are words coming out of your mouth, but I don't understand any concept. So, is so it an aerobics thing? Like, what no, is Bun's Trading Zone? Bun's Trading Zone. Okay. It was this, uh, it originally started as Bum's Trading Zone because, it, like, we're all bums. But it was uh, this girl, Emily, started a Facebook community that was sort of like a no-cash-allowed trading area she needed like ingredients for food and she's like oh i've got all these like you know old dvds or blah, blah blah like i don't know exactly what she was trading to start but that was the basic idea behind it like let's just trade stuff from our trading post stuff that you don't want yeah um and it grew in an insane like just doubling every other day in pot and just populous just the number of people who are joined up for the group to the point where it's in the tens of thousands now, I think mm, it's. I, I think the communism is strong in Toronto, and they have their own app that's been developed and mm-hmm. a website. And I mean, obviously, it's been subject to hilarious trolling because it's a Facebook community, and it because when you include that many people from Toronto, infighting starts and just like ridiculous troll posts. It's it's been super entertaining, but it's also exposed this whole community of people who just don't have any money mm-hmm. us all of us who have very little money and a, like probably some stuff we don't need anymore that we've inherited through different moves and different relationships or just things we don't use anymore and taking advantage of like a thriving trade market that just plain did not exist in toronto over the course of six months like this is no more than six months old and now it's it's huge and they have pop-up shops and to get something off of the Facebook group was almost impossible because the number of people watching it was like something cool would go up and it'd be gone like that. Um, but just such an interesting thing and it must be so, I mean... What are the types of items that you'd see? Everything. I mean, it could be something as, you know, high-tech and expensive as like, yeah, you know, shake weights or like old, like iPhone 5s or 4s that people didn't want okay. anymore. But, you know, or I got this bag of dog food. My dog doesn't like it. There's only ah. one There's only one cup gone. I'll trade it for blah, blah, blah. And then the most common thing that things became traded for, like what became sort of the common well, cryptocurrency for Bun's Trading Zone uh-huh. were tokens and tall cans because they're pretty much the same amount of money. <laughs> a tall can after tax is like three bucks and a token is like three bucks, three twenty-five. Oh, brilliant. So those become the super common ones to be like, oh, I want three tall cans for this. I've always I, found tokens fascinating because they're kind of inflation proof. Like yeah. the, the, the price of the TTC goes up way faster than the Canadian dollar. So I don't know why yeah. anybody doesn't just like completely stockpile thousands of them. That's I think uh, convenience stores probably do that. Mm-hmm. Like convenience stores with more money will probably go and buy a few hundred of them. Just go to hit up all the different stations and just keep buying and buying and buying. And then, you know, they have that guarantee. People are always going to buy tokens from them for sure. If you advertise you have them, people will buy them from you. I remember when the TTC changed the design and they were saying like, we won't honor the old tokens anymore. I'm like, Fuck, somebody got screwed. Somebody's going to open up the vault and find Grandma had like 10 million TTC tokens in there. That was the whole fortune. But they're yeah. the old silver kind, the ones that aren't worth anything anymore. Yeah. I mean, 
it's, I, I'm a little aggravated that TTC went up in cost. Hmm. I mean, it's always going to go up. It should just be with inflation where it goes up point two cents or whatever so every where's the, where's the month increase in wage inflation <laughs> oh where's that i agree with that too but trudeau's working on it right they're gonna get guaranteed income it might not be in the next five years i could use that right now i could mm-hmm. use guaranteed income right now because like it's a really bad time of year to be looking for any kind of job mm-hmm. and i'm unfortunately like you know not gonna be going back well i'm not unfortunately Fortunately, never going back to dishwashing or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Set my sights higher. I think you should go to technical college and get a trade. Like, if you knew how to do plumbing or electrical or whatever, you'd be making insane money and you would make your own hours. Like, you don't have to do it all the time. Yeah, I... Or become a comic. (laughs) (laughs) The 50 bucks a night. Zingers, people. Go do, like, six nights a week. You could go on the road. Ugh. A road comic. If any, if anything, uh, I'm just I'm wa- I'm waiting for the sort the sort of lull in like entertainment entrepreneurial opportunity to sort of at least in my life I've sort of I sort of been distant from what I love for too long, not surrounding myself with the right people, and even like working at battle and like doing the whole axe throwing thing, uh, which I'll be like, I'll go on record as why I was fired because it's bullshit. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You should give context, though, because I don't think you've ever even talked. You didn't even have that job last time you were talking on this this thing. That might be true. So, so at some point uh, last year, I got... Uh, no, I must have done an episode when I was working at Battle. I, I haven't done one so. in a whole year? No, I don't think so. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> my last one I recorded was July... I didn't do any in the spring when I was working at this place. Maybe not. So. Maybe not. So. But anyways, I got hired at this place called Battle. It's a backyard axe throwing league. Uh, it was a pretty interesting job. Basically, uh, adult babysitting for the most part, where there's a lot of <laughs> sort of drunk, rich white people who are there to celebrate their work's Christmas party or some bullshit like By that. By throwing hatchets. But throwing at hatchets logs. at wood. And then we they had like a legitimate game. And the thing is, that, like axe throwing is great. Like actually throwing axes and doing it competitively. I still throw in a league. I still think it's great. Um, it's j- our bowling. Yeah, it's like a new bowling. Um, the job was like had like any other job, especially in something like that, had its like, you know, peaks and valleys. Um, the valleys being just like bachelor parties full of drunk twenty-year-olds who are just unruly and don't want to listen to you. And armed. And armed. <laughs> or yeah, even worse. What I found to be much worse was uh, you know corporate parties. People at a on a corporate level, rich, rich white people, gap white, like just the fucking most sterile white kinds of people you'll ever meet. Those are the worst kinds of people to try and please or just get along with for three hours. The number of times that I had to swallow my tongue at some offhanded remark and the ruling hear, class hearing somebody make a joke where the punchline was calling somebody a kike. And I was told that it was like I just had to sort of relax and not not be offended by that and let because the party ah, that's would, just Larry. Larry's pa- always with the kike jokes. And the party the party would be gone soon <laughs> and so it wouldn't be a big deal. And I was like, that's fucking ridiculous Mm -hmm. that idea really like upset me about it and then the reason i ended up losing my job which is i mean i will to the day i die go on record saying like marijuana has been a huge help in my life Mm -hmm. i used to have 
and still have anxiety problems and stress. Self-medication. It's a self-medication. I'm not really afraid to admit that because the alternatives in my life would probably be a far less equalizing substitution for marijuana, whereas I've found a, a good place with it where I don't feel like it's degenerative to my energy levels or to my ambition. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just as your friend, I, I like you much more when you're stoned than versus drinking. Like, the, the two are, are yeah, not Yeah, uh, and, and drink, drinking's really not good for me. I've been really trying to cut back on that. And even just, like, stuff like coffee, I've been sort of relegating myself to just smoking weed because it actually does clear my head in a certain way where I actually feel like getting things done and feeling mm-hmm. feel inspired to do things. Um, and so truly the whole time I worked there, if I hadn't smoked weed before work, I'd probably eaten an edible of some kind. Uh, every group I ever taught, every ax I ever threw was stoned. Sure. Like h- hundreds and hundreds of people I taught how to throw a- axes, zero accidents, zero injuries, zero complaints about my job. Uh, there are often times where my praises were sung because I was doing a good job and I worked hard. You know, I wasn't the perfect employee. I have fucking problems, but you know, I worked hard there and I liked that job. Uh, I had a split shift in which I had almost nearly five hours between actually being active on the job. I worked in the morning and they were like, well, we're closed for hours now and you're up in North York, go find something to do. And I smoked a joint and went to go see a movie and one of the new people, basically ratted on me, went and ratted on me, and they fired me over the phone December 18th at 8.30 in the morning. Someone saw you outside of work hours so, smoking a joint, and they were like, Brendan's is a pothead. Get rid of him. It was it was a little more it was a little more uh, direct in that she was hanging around when we were all talking about what we were going to do on our split shifts, and someone, like, I'd worked with those people for a, a year, so, so I felt pretty comfortable. Yeah. They're like, oh, what are you going to go do on your split shift? I was like, I don't know, probably what I do every time, go smoke a joint and, like, see if there's any good movies playing between now and then. Mm-hmm. And she she got indignant, got angry, and when I kind of was like, well, what are you angry about? She took it personally, and therefore, the second I left... So she thought it was inappropriate that... You that were... I was smoking weed out like five hours before I had to come back to work. Oh, okay. Even and like, she did not know me well enough to know that go, like listen, I operate on that. I am a high functioning pothead. Yeah, like, super high functioning. I can smoke a joint and it will do nothing. I like I only <laughs> threw axes and taught people how to throw axes stoned. I like I can't stress that enough. There might have been one or two days when I was sober, and those days were truly hell for me. Like when those days come around, I don't have good days. And I, those are usually the times where I like, I bat heads with people. Um, and so they fired me for that, uh, for like being intoxicated, even though we're throwing axes at wood and letting people drink booze. And like, you know, they say they're going to keep it to a certain level, but like, you know, we're not going to stop people from getting to a certain point like they're gonna drink and we can't fucking keep our eyes on every single person yeah it's much more irresponsible for them to let people drink alcohol to, drink, and throw to axes smoke to smoke weed and throw axes is like fucking nothing like no. there was that was literally nothing wrong with me people There's golf no- and smoke weed all the time that's like the only reason to golf jesse people do everything and smoke weed <laughs> fucking there are doctors out there who probably spend a decent amount of their time Getting high after work. Performing surgery. Or, oh, uh, chefs are, are notorious chefs for are just being stoners. Whatever, whatever. It's mm-hmm. like someone's self-medication on that level. I could understand if it was drinking. If I was drinking and coming into work, that'd be a totally different animal because I'm a different animal when I yeah. fucking drink. But if they had taken any umbrage with my performance while smoking marijuana and doing my job, it would have come up 
before, and right. it hadn't. It had only been because they found out that I was smoking weed. It was only ever because yeah. they found out I was smoking weed before coming to work. It's like so. Was there any kind of like personal history with this person? That no, no. She's she used to work there five years ago. She came back. Uh, I didn't know her very well. She sort of like had this this really like light and aggressive attitude where she was telling me to fuck off or like shut up every once in a while, but it seemed really light. So I took it as such where yeah. I was being like, oh, cool. And then I noticed every once in a while where I'd be like, shut up. I won't say her name because I don't need to do that. But shut up, blah, blah, blah. Bertha. Bertha. She'd be – she'd get indignant and be like, well, don't talk to me like that. You can't talk to me like that. It's like, well, I distinctly – this was our I game. Di- I distinctly remember you telling me to fuck off yesterday yeah, when you had had a glass of wine and like after work. So I just don't see where this is going. So clearly she has some kind of issues. I'm not going to speculate as to why she felt she needed to – go above my head and and like after that happened the best part is after like we had that little tiff and i was like well what are you gonna rat on me like is this seriously where this is going i went to her after that and i apologized and made sure things were cool i was like hey it was not my intention to sort of cause anything there we were just talking about our split shifts i hope that's not something that's gonna like sort of taint our relationship because we have to work together i was the most forthcoming and like apologetic I was like, are we cool? She looked me right in the eyes and went, oh yeah, totally fine. And then walked into the fucking office and told my boss who f- then fired me on the phone 8.30 in the morning, December 18th, before my last shift, before the holiday season, mm. and then showed up to my house with a contract for me. To, he ch- tried to get me to sign a contract that said I wouldn't go to the labor board, a fucking contract that gave away my rights to file a complaint about what had just happened to me. As if maybe something about firing me for doing something off work property when I was not being paid and not anywhere might near illegal. might be the tiniest bit immoral or illegal, especially yeah. at fucking Christmas time. I... When my landlord found out I was fired, he couldn't believe it. He's like, you know, there's laws like I couldn't kick you out even if I wanted to at Christmas time. There's laws against that. There should be a fucking law against doing that to somebody in the... Did they give you severance? Nope. Zero severance, uh-huh. and they made sure I was fired on paper so I can't get EI. I'm not fucking – I can't qualify for EI under this current system because I lost my job through my own faults. It's fucking bullshit. And so now I've been – That sounds uh, – That sounds. Like I've been unemployed for over a month, right. and I've got February coming up. I'm just going to make fucking do, and now I'm staring down. Well, like do I have to reduce myself to working a minimum wage job where I work my ass off for nothing? And be super poor again. Is that like really where I want to be? What was the ex running through uh, paying? 16 an hour. Mm. It's not bad, but there were tips. And the tips, when they were good, they were really good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's no problem there. That was definitely taking care of my. So, needs. I mean, you might go to the competition and say, like, listen, I know the job. I was working at the other place. They fired me Fun because fact. somebody said that I was a pothead and they fired me. Here's a fun fact. Weed. Uh, I hope I'm allowed to divulge this. I'm sure I am. I don't. I don't care. I have a fucking copy of the contract. My employee contract uh, permits me from giving away company secrets and going to work for any of the competitors, aka people teaching people how to fucking draw concentric circles on wood, and like throw an axe and throw it. an axe at it. I mean, it's not. It's not going to be very hard for anybody to figure out what they're doing there. And like because they offer their service very publicly and very openly. All you would have to do is go there with a group of like spies from your company, just like five or six people who are paying attention. And you know how you get around it? Just just go in the new place and say like, listen, they made me sign a contract that said I wouldn't give away any of the company secrets. 
So you'll have to train me clean uh, about how your technique of throwing hatchets at wood is proprietary and <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to be able to share with you any of the trade secrets from my other company. Yeah. They they threw axes in a very different method than Which you might it's, expect. It's not, and like all the all the coaching is very straightforward. Like I spent a year as a coach, I could teach anybody how to throw an axe. It's not some like mystical, like magical skill. Like some people there would genuinely like you to believe that their ability to throw axes really well is this like super mystic power. It's super. It's not useful in any way, and it is very much like just a game of inches and a game of like and also something you can learn on YouTube right now absolutely for there sure is, there is there is there is no shortage of axe throwing leagues there, in North the, America now the, they're the, all over the place the benefit of the of the coach situation is that somebody can like look at your positioning look at what you're doing wrong right critique your form critique your form about how you're stretching and how you're leaning in but then like beyond that you can only tell someone to lean in and follow through and like to stretch toward the target when they release it's all like these very like kind of simple things that you can sort of do to make it stick and it's all like distance right because yeah. The technique just doesn't automatically work from every single distance once you start also, backing up. I think that the, that uh, that proprietary information clause in contracts, that's a standard thing that everybody working at a job I, and signs, I think it's, and it's to prevent you from being a mole but, for the other company. But no, but you're they, basically calling the other people on the phone and go like, oh, you know, the competition. Part of the clause it. in that contract, though, says that I can't work for the competition for like 14 months. After I'm terminated or something, I can't go work for... Uh, the bad axe throwing league or I don't think, I think even they would maybe if they wanted to, I don't know how serious they are about really enforcing that kind of thing on their employees. But if I went to like the knife throwing league, I think they might, they might actually I, come after me. If you that. have a relative that's a I don't know if they can do that. I don't know if they can fire you from your job and say like, you're not allowed by contract to work for anybody else either. Cause that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it must exist. Like, what on if some you were level. a chef and you weren't allowed to get a job in another restaurant after you were fired because you've, you're not allowed to work as a chef anymore? But then, what's stopping, like, you know, scientists from taking the work of a lab they're working at and going and starting their own lab and working on it? You're and not supposed to share any of the any of the things, the techniques you develop at a job. Like in my case, if you're a designer, yeah, you can't um, design stuff on company time and then take that work elsewhere so like right. some people they get fired and they go like okay i'm cleaning off my hard drive and they take all of the work that they've been building the last three years and they hold it hostage yeah you can't do that yeah. it belongs to the company so there's generic contracts that you send sign that make everything that you develop within that building proprietary to the company yeah but i don't know if they can bar you from ever working in the industry again and, and i mean right. more pertinent than all of that is that i don't really want to work in axe throwing anymore mm -hmm. like it was a year i had a year of like a really interesting job where i got to meet tons of people and i got like an interesting new skill i can throw like a bunch of cool trick shots you know, be a hell of a thing what's that you set up a business where you become like a master escape artist <laughs> and you teach other people how to tie and untie knots and like escape from straight jackets and things i think that that would be both a provocative and interesting skill for somebody to learn. <laughs> I like. I've been thinking a lot about, uh, and I don't think anybody has that dollar. That's a good dollar. One of the things I've been thinking about, and not necessarily as like a business opportunity, but maybe depending on on things, is 
Like think about the escape room craze, right? And how many like things have popped up. And guaranteed, mm. guaranteed the things in escape rooms. Like I've seen videos and stuff like that. The puzzles are just like real lame and sort of straightforward. And, Come and on, they're, I mean, and they're not like what I would expect out of sort of a escape room type situation. What I'd like really want out of it is like you know the feeling when you first play the game Mist. Mm-hmm. And you get dropped on an island, and you're just like, "What the fuck so is confused. happening? I don't know yeah. what any of these things do. Everything has buttons on it, and or does something when I click it, but I have jack shit in the way of foreknowledge of like what any of this stuff does." And it's also beautiful. So it's even super if you're beautiful, confused, you have stuff to look at. And there's a game that just came out for PS4 called The Witness. You should look it up. It mm-hmm. Came out today or yesterday. Um, that's based on Mist. It's like somebody's homage to the original Mist. It's gorgeous the fucking design is beautiful and the puzzle innovation behind it is super lovely and something that's been like a really huge part of my childhood growing up playing adventure games is like unconventional logic logic outside of like uh your everyday logic which is what a lot of people don't like about those games Mm. i'll i'll like i'll go on record as saying i understand why people don't like point and click adventure games from the 90s especially now they just re-released Grim Fandango on the PS4 as like a remaster, all HD, like updated remaster, everything. But same game, same frustration of like kooky logic of like <laughs> trying this thing with that thing in your hands or with people talking and clicking on everything to try and find... Put the something. pineapple on his head. See it, what it does. Exactly, right? It's that like that LucasArts and Sierra logic from the 90s that modern gamers will not get. They're not like a little kid now is not going to turn a game like that on and have the patience or the uh, the drive to really figure that out. But when those games came out, they were popular because it was uh, desirable to have that kind of puzzle element where like the story was so good and the comedy was good and the writing was good and the characters were people are also forgetting that they were way more creative when they were 10 and that they were open to ideas like oh put the hamster in the microwave yeah let's see what happens but i'm even talking like i don't think 10 year olds now uh having played the video games that they've already been like subject to and the sort of linear thinking that they've been uh, they've become accustomed to because of those style of games that you, you give them a game like Grim Fandango and it gives them uh, the same sense of wonder. Like it's a it, bit clunky. Yeah, but it's it's not a lost art, and the the lost uh, the the art of like a really truly innovative puzzle and something that makes you think and something that's intuitive with uh, like a landscape and a setting and. Like, you know, you get dropped on this mystical island and you find these things and they don't represent or resemble anything from your own life. Mm-hmm. You're not finding gears and fucking keys and stuff like that that are like, I know what a key does. Sure. I found a key so it must go to a door somewhere. That's too linear. You have to find things that are so alien and foreign to you and then have to observe your surroundings enough to place them, to put them in their place. That's what's really important about those kinds of puzzles. That's what makes them rewarding. And what releases endorphins in your brain. And I was thinking, you know, what if someone made a truly, truly difficult escape room where you get put in a room for like a weekend. You put or a series of rooms, like four rooms for a weekend, and you get you get food, you get like a backpack full of food, enough food and water, and each room has its own little private bathroom. Oh, and hidden cameras? It's not in the bathrooms, obviously. You you can get your feed at the end. Yeah, you can get the feed at the end. And post to Facebook. And, you know, really 
you know, separate people, put, have there be four rooms and people start on the opposite sides and them all be like completely locked and really introduce that element of alien innovation where you are fed a bunch of things and you really have to use outside logic. You have to stop thinking like, uh, the, your normal everyday human being self and start thinking, you know, fucking outside the box or however you want to put it. Um, really think that's probably not been done properly yet what like was a, that art project that that fellow set up and it was it was kind of almost like fin- david fincher's the game he left all these art clues in public places and they were clues of a giant conspiracy like an illuminati type of thing right and you could go and find like a key to a lockbox, and that led you to information about a secret company on a certain floor of yeah. a certain office building. Do you remember what that was about? No, sounds familiar, but I mean, there have been a few things like that. There's a, there's a, a name for that, for that kind of art project. It's called an alternate reality game. Yeah, exactly. And there, they did one for Cloverfield. JJ Abrams did one for the original Cloverfield. That was amazing. It was a series of like websites and different clues. There's actually for one for Halo 2 as well called i love bees this wasn't a digital thing though this is these were real places real that this place guy spent real money setting but, up but they they've done that for uh for some of these alternate reality games where the clues also are uh you know in real world places there's actually one going on right now for the cloverfield movie coming out the new abrams 10 cloverfield lane that's coming out uh soon mm-hmm. there's an alternate reality game going on and it involves like ham radio and all like people there's a uh a company called swamp pop that's a real company that existed from before but they're involved in the alternate reality game where they're sending out pieces of a puzzle everyone who's ordered a certain kind of their pop has gotten different pieces of a puzzle mm. that they've realized is this puzzle of the eiffel tower all these people are get to getting together on reddit to build all this stuff and they found different clues where people have just been like well to see if that's pertinent or not we're just gonna have to go out there so some guy just drove out to the middle of kentucky and went to this place to see if there was anything there and in like other alternate reality games that's actually been like for the isle of bees one people had to go to this beach and they retrieved like a metal box that was full of information and then other people ended up having to go to different pay phones they had to find out the locations of random pay phones in america and they had to go and wait there at certain times to get transmissions that were uh further updates on how to get through the the different security processes or like learn more information about what was coming yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about the um the only difficulty about it is you really need grants in order to to build something like that properly it's it's a lot of work but if you if you monetize it as an escape room and you do the best escape room you don't just make like a simple sort of escape room or one that just like feels tacky and cheesy like you have to make you have to make one that is a like a weekend like someone does a friday friday night to sunday morning like it's all all the night on saturday and then like throughout and you pick like four people and they all have to pay and it's just like a full-on like just you say, listen, bro, we're gonna kidnap you. We're gonna kidnap you. We're gonna drop you off in Syria. You gotta escape. No, not not that extreme. You'll be but airlifted at the end of the, the the weekend. They come voluntarily, but they they understand that to get out before like the clock's done is the only way is to actually like solve it mm-hmm. and to really provide a unique 
thought-provoking puzzle experience that will make the right kind. It will attract the right kind of business. It won't be like a super casual thing. It'll be the people who like to play Myst. Those are the kind of people I want <laughs> at my business, at my escape room. I want to build those puzzles, and then I want to challenge people. I want to be the DM. Like of a Myst? Got the weekend off? Got $200? Exactly. Come I, try to escape from my house. I want to be like the dungeon master <laughs> of a fucking Myst game. Like a real-life Myst. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be so awesome. Imagine if you could just fucking get an island together. Like, yeah. if you could buy a small acreage island and just build a mist game on the island. Just fucking trap people there for a week and be like, well, there's a clue to get out of here. And there's a fucking treasure. What if you run into a lot of people who are really rich and really stupid and they just get stuck in the middle of your weekend game and doing nothing and just screaming for help the whole time? That's excellent TV, Jesse. That is top-notch television. If Survivor has taught us nothing... So are you going to recommend this game that you failed at to your friends? <laughs> no, I'm never coming back here, and I don't want to pay. And this has been Escape Room. <laughs> honk, honk. There you go. That, that's how you really monetize it. You make, you make one of the most grueling and difficult escape rooms on an island, and then you monetize that by making a 24-hour reality show that's broadcast on the internet, like Big Brother. We can podcast... It's like Truman Show and Big Brother mixed together where they're all on an island and there's a fucking treasure and then a way off the island and there's like maybe three teams of four and they're all pitted against each other and there's just like crazy fucking complex puzzles on the island. They can either choose to work with the other teams or fucking not or not do anything if they don't want to. I can imagine us podcasting in the foreground talking about completely unrelated material while a couple of your early adopters are tied up in some sort of pit, <laughs> just struggling to survive. It's not a survive. haunted house. <laughs> I'm not going to tie them up. They're going to be free to roam the island, but they're only going to be able to progress into the buildings oh. on the island. Like, like you know, you like there's cool stuff in there, and you got to figure out how to get into that room if you want to see that King Tut. Yeah, and I'm talking Mummy like case I'm talking stuff. if you're gonna make you know make like a television production out of this sort of thing, you build some fucking impressive mechanics. Where you like you could have like the Ripley's Believe It or Not type of thing, where there's the like the mermaid lounge, and you get to see like a real mermaid inside the the glass bowl, and she waves at you and things. But you got to get in there first. I'm, I'm thinking even more like you know uh, if I'm if I'm gonna continue to draw mist as like an example, like one of the first things you see when you like arrive on Mist Island, there's like a door and a button, and a place for, like, a code. Mm -hmm. And, like, you don't know what the code is, so you can't do anything with it. It's the first thing you see, and you're just like, oh. So you, like, kind of feel around in the door for a bit, and you go, okay, there's no trick to this. So you start looking for the fucking code. And then, as you're walking by, you go, oh, there's a planetarium. There's, like, this weird, big, arched, dome planetarium here. And you go up, and the doors are locked. And you can't get mm-hmm. inside. So you're like, another fucking obstacle. So now you're starting to make this laundry list of like, well, I'm looking for, I know I need numbers for that first door. Don't know what I need for the second door. So you start feeling around. It's like, well, it's just locked. So come back to that later. I want to make that kind of like, it's not this linear, like, you need to do all these puzzles in the same order. It's, there's like 10 major puzzles and areas on this island that are going to cut like, require some real hard thinking mm-hmm. and then when you get inside of it it's going to be a piece of the kind of the grander mystery of the island that will unlock sort of the last spot which will be where 
all the money is or whatever you choose the you're at the, the end prize of the maze. it's just me i'm sitting in my chair matrix style of like oh, welcome <laughs> welcome to the nerve center i'm nude <laughs> and covered in coconut oil and but like and that's the kind of thing as i was as i was coming up with this idea just now i realized it is a completely pitchable tv show you could 100% someone get get someone to back something like that with the right pitcher and the right treatment for that show yeah you could fucking make it an escape room show where that that involves like all you have to do is play the same tropes that survivor plays on you don't have to do the same stupid fucking like voting people off everyone's just on the island they can't leave it's like big brother they're all just gonna be there the whole time or uh or real world or whatever but you get ex ex girlfriends and boyfriends and you may put them on different teams or like you get fathers and sons you split them up you may put it pit them against each other you tell them they can't fucking they can't both take home the fucking whatever the prize is guys it's an algorithm janet just solved it <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and just think of the – it takes everything that's good about Survivor or the challenge or real All you world. need is a little bit of fan service. You need an anchor in people's imaginations. So what if you got the rights to Cube and you built the Cube? Oh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, like – It's even timely because, like, it kind of has that hotline – type of <laughs> art direction with the, the, the colorful walls the interesting thing about cube was that people could die in it oh. we can't that's i don't think that the the interesting part of cube was the math part where she figures it out <laughs> i'm pretty sure it was the fact that there were deadly traps in every single room yeah but i mean you could have symbolic deaths i mean on survivor when they vote somebody off the island that's a metaphor for them cutting up the person and put them in a stew pot and eating <laughs> I, them that's I actually, what that means i guess Oh, I never thought about tribal council. Tribal council. You end up in the pot. <laughs> who's who's going to be eaten tonight? You just opened my eyes to this great metaphor that Survivor. Survivor's an amazing show. Oh, I know. I already knew that. Mm. I was well subscribed to the amazingness of all reality competition shows. <laughs> One of my favorite podcasts, which is now like it's done. Uh, it was called Reality Show Show, and it was going in like 2011 through 13. Hmm. And it's uh, quit, quit just before they became mainstream, uh, and they, they made a different podcast. Oh, uh, but I mean, like, no, I mean, reality shows were huge in the mid early two thousands. By right. the time they were doing that podcast, Survivor was in its eighteenth season or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they they had such an awesome fascination for all the right reasons of why reality shows were good, mm-hmm. and they they had perfect insight where they could see through the trashy parts of it that didn't matter and all the TV guff and find these great moments of clarity and just hilarious insights about humanity. There's, mm. there's crazy things you can learn about people from reality shows yeah, and, and the way that they act on reality shows, like the characters that they play or that they're willing to play on a reality show in order to keep a narrative going. It must going. be funny to be a sociology student. Cause I imagine that most of the, the final exams most of the final projects are like just editing together moments from reality shows yeah. to demonstrate well, the, a human you, condition you even have to think about somebody who's like a multiple reality show contestant that mm-hmm. like appears multiple times there's there's a certain mentality about you can't you can't really just be yourself there's few and far between 
uh, are the contestants on Survivor or Big Brother that are actually just like legit crazy all the time. The people who show up who are fucking batshit bonkers, those are rare. And when the TV people find those people, they latch onto them and they make sure that like, there's hello. no they make sure there's no You're way they'll get voted off the show. They throw immunity challenges at that person in order to keep them on. Everybody else is playing a hammed up version of themselves or something that they've been uh, pushed into sort of being, right? Like when you get to the show and you show up and there's this this narrative going on and they're asking you about stuff, you're sort of being fed these ideas about, you know, well, well, this person said this about you. You know, they're rigging the game by telling you things you shouldn't know about it in order to influence your character to create this for TV personality. But because you are you are you, it's you're using your real name and you're on the show as you, and you're comfortable in this character, you have to then leave that reality show and deal with the consequences of that being the way people actually perceive you because they think it's reality. Right. right? You you're on that show to portray some sort of like real connection to an actual person. So in your day to day life, you are submitting to yourself being seen as whatever character the editor is going to cut into you when the show's done. Because it might be some, I've I listened to different interviews with people who are on like The Bachelor and Bachelorette, and it was like totally like almost a. Uh, an I couldn't Im- believe how they portrayed me on that show. No, I came off as a real bitch, like an implied script yeah. where they'd be like, "Well, she like said this thing. How do you feel about that?" And they'd get the worst possible reaction from you, and then that's all they'd ever show. Yeah, and, and I can imagine the producers sitting with you behind the stage. And if they talk to you for 45 minutes, they're probably going to get a whole lot of nuance. Like, what were the things that you were most upset about? Yeah. And then you just keep that part. And then you design... And then you play that for the person that you were feuding with, and they go like, what? Exactly. And then... She started it. If you have a show whose design is good, like Survivor or Big Brother, if they were smarter, they would tailor-make their competitions... To force those people into, <laughs> into like, unruly arguments. Mm. That's that's the final key is the custom tailoring of every individual uh, competition to expose people <laughs> for their weaknesses and force them to interact at their weakest moments. That's what makes reality television great. Yes. Everything else is just fluff and garbage. It's those moments that are, like, beautiful. They're always trying to figure out what's going to be the next great Survivor format. They've done Blood versus Water where you're competing with loved ones. I feel like they should do an enemies one where it's it's kind of like an undercover boss scenario. You know each other, but it's a notorious relationship. It's somebody right. you had a lawsuit but, with. It's but even, your ex-wife. But even somebody who would agree to with be on a show, would uh, someone who would agree with you to be on a show together people want to be is on the not, TV is Brennan. not enough of an enemy you'd have to have like a really crafty producer who meets you and doesn't tell you that that's the name of the game and then prods your family and your friends somehow like gets to know you because it'd be like oh we want to get to know you from like a friend base who would you say like knows you best then you get that friend you get them in an interview and say who is this guy's most hated asshole who does this guy hate more than anybody in the world and what's his phone number? You folks have been out on the island four weeks now. We wanted to bring back someone from your past. No. <laughs> the even, curtain goes up. <laughs> even better, you, you start the two tribes, they don't interact at the beginning. They start off and you've done all the digging and you've dug up other people and then you go and you just offer those other people. You don't tell them what's happening either. You, you get their phone number 
and somehow you pitch it to them of like, you're going to be on Survivor. You won some kind of a sweepstakes or whatever that you didn't know you were in. You're going to be on Survivor. And they come out, and then a couple weeks in, after everyone's nice and comfortable, the game's setting in, everyone's hungry, then the tribes meet, and every single person from every single tribe hates someone else in the other tribe with a burning, fiery passion. <laughs> and the fucking the game begins. Tell me that would not be the best season of Survivor. You, you'd have to, be, it would have to be super secret. You'd have to have crafty fucking producers and casters who were able to dig without anyone letting on. Like the best friend would have to be fucking sworn to a non-disclosure to not tell his friend that he gave yeah. away the the name and phone number of your greatest enemy. I also think it would be interesting to do uh, just from a level of not a lot, not letting the other contestants know that that's the trick this yeah. season. And that's why everyone meets all at once. They secretly know somebody in the other tribe, but they all do. It's yeah. kind of like a game of uh, of Clue, right? Like yeah. that Clue, the the film version with Tim Curry, where there's hidden alliances. Yeah. Oh, I recognize you from a different life. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> We're gonna win this game. Well, that that happened. Like, I mean, re- people recognizing others. I, it's definitely happened before, but that sort of structured one, I really like. I, there have been so many good reality show concepts that are just there's there's one I'm trying, I can't remember the name of it I think it was a fox one <laughs> it was ridiculous but it was like a sh- uh, they got a bunch of really like super hetero dudes mm-hmm. like just straight up alpha males they created this like sort of big bu- big brother scenario in which they they said that one per they told everyone in the group that one person in the house is gay I thought you were gonna say you all got to get married. No, that's what the the theme is. So, so one we're gonna have the best marriage wins a million dollars. One person in the house is gay, mm. and they are they're being fraudulent and they are trying to blend in. And if they can go the whole season without being found out, they win a million dollars. And if the other nine people, the other nine guys in this like frat house or whatever, can figure out who the gay guy is and out him, they get to split. The million dollars. Sounds like this is going to lead to a lot of bro talk. The trick, the the caveat to this whole thing is none of them were gay. Ah. <laughs> so they were all trying to out each other as being gay. Bro, I the- totally stuck my cock in your mouth last night. But no, no they were. Tr- it would. It and would. You said mm. it was like ten super hetero dudes who were like being super suspicious. Or you know what? I actually might be getting this wrong. I think it might have been the other way around. I just dreamed it. No, no, no. Just a million dollar idea. No, I think it was the other way around. I think uh, I think they were all gay. They were all gay. And someone was trying to be the straight guy. And so they were all trying to figure out who the straight that's guy was, fun. but they are all gay. I think that's, that's how fun. it worked. It, this was like back in the mid-2000s, but I always remember that, that idea and be like, Because there'd a- be evidence about, oh, are you a Mariah or a Britney? And you go like, uh, Mariah? No, I kind of like Whitney Houston. They go like, that's not one of the categories. Oh, that's You're not so a real gay guy. Reality shows. I, you know, I have I've always been thing. fascinated by that aspect of how gay culture kind of has stereotypes. Yeah, well, we do too. I think I feel like they're they're maybe not as like what as are, what pronounced. are some of the hetero stereotypes? Like what did hetero guys get into? It would probably it would probably Star Wars. Is that a hetero thing? No, I w- I would say it almost completely. Batman. Completely in the realm of athleticism. I think you'd find your your archetypes in like action movies. Especially, like maybe not so much now, but I mean, for a long time, it would be like, oh, you're uh, 
Indiana Jones. You're an Indiana Jones type. You're an Arnold Schwarzenegger type. Or like in the in the super alpha world, it'd be like you know the kind you'd be almost represented by the kind of person you are in your sport, right? So if like you were really fast, maybe like you're the Rocket Richard. I don't know if I don't know if that's the same <laughs> the same thing. But are you I, a Jordan or a Kobe? I think we have I think we have just more ridiculous idols than the homosexual community. I think they have I think they have a better idea of their stereotypes than. Like You're probably not the person to ask. It'd be an interesting. Uh, I have no, I. Of, I have a lot of questions about uh, that side of, of things. I don't know where I fit in, anywhere. Yeah. Against any like stereotype or archetype, I like. I find myself. Con- I, I feel like, especially in this generation right now, I'm finding myself super, uh, like lost and distant from yeah. everyone. Where. PC culture is definitely. This is something that we. Uh oh, we're gonna go down this road. <laughs> no, 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 and, and it's not. It's something that it's something that I'm super neutral about now, where. Yeah. I see. I see the bent. Not our wheelhouse. I see the benefit and the, the downside of it, just like in anything else. In that, if, um, sort of like white knight, PC culture, the way it's become a kind of bandwagon thing. There are people who are just genuine, generally, genuinely fighting for their civil rights and for equality in a way that's tilt that up a little bit. Yeah. Super super positive, but I feel like if there's if there's good that's going to come out of this uh, and something that I'm I'm selfishly excited about in PC culture is that we might actually force our way out of the wild west <laughs> period of the internet. Yeah. Where the the anonymous nature of what you could do before and how you could get away with something before is almost gone now because of the way people will fucking hound you about something. If you, if you, you have to be a little bit more conscious and take like, responsibility for what you're saying, and not even, not even just on the internet, but in your life, because there's this intrinsic connection between the internet and your life now that connects you to everyone else. There was a surgeon, uh, like a, a neuro. A neurologist assistant or, like, a studying neurologist in Florida. She was this, like, uh, girl maybe in her late 20s. She had a crazy drunken freakout and assaulted an Uber driver. Mm. She destroyed it. And she was just a clearly, like, spoiled person who had drinking problems. Mm-hmm. And she trashed this Uber driver's car while someone filmed her. She knew she was being filmed. Ah. Within 24 hours. Fired fired from her job within mm. 24 hours she'll never practice medicine in the state of florida again because of that behavior and that's a that's an extreme but it also like every cultural revolution has been based on like extremes extreme examples right everyone learns from the most extreme example and while it might be pretty terrible for her now she'll get over it her life will bounce back she'll learn never to do something like that again did you read John Ronson's book? So you've been publicly shamed. No, it's good. Uh, download the audiobook. But uh, he argues that um, that is the common instinct among the trolls that get these people fired. Is that ah, they'll they'll bounce back. It's just getting fired from a job. Well, a lot of them a lot of them end up in therapy and they don't rebound for five or six years until after yeah. the fact. And I think I think the ex- the extreme public shaming goes a little bit too far, but I do think there are levels of it where if we uh, disassemble the community of 
bigotry and sex, like just crazy hateful sexism on the internet, if we are able to scare those people away from that medium Mm. in any way uh, because they're too afraid that it will out them in their own life, I say it's it's worth it. There's a great uh, Terrence McKenna um, clip that I just found today, coincidentally enough, and it's called about it's it's called man and woman at the end of time i think right and uh, i just posted it on my facebook and they talk about we're ending the era of the dominator culture right and what he theorizes he's sitting and he's kind of waxing with uh, i think it might be his wife and a bunch of other um, kind of people that are just riffing off the same idea and their theory is that over the last like kind of 500 years that um, monotheism has been ruling the world they uh, really aggressively tried to extinguish paganism yeah but paganism doesn't really disappear because it's kind of humanity's default state yeah and if you look at a lot of like pagan cultures that came before monotheism they were much more neutral about the position of the sexes and their value yeah, absolutely. in society and stuff like that. Much more matriarchal, much more balanced in terms of understanding that there is a role for the ego and the warrior, and there's a role for the nurturer and the the mother, the person that like um, is able to like sacrifice or put their own needs yeah. behind that of what's good for the greater whole. And kind of an outward outlook about what are the impacts of my decisions, right? And so he talks about how he's imagining a time after the Dominator culture ends um, where we can get back to that kind of um, equality. Yeah. And the thing that I found interesting about the insight is he wasn't talking about patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Patriarchy is an element of the Dominator culture because... Men are naturally more um, able to thrive in a dominator culture. Like, we're more physically strong, we're yeah. more aggressive, we're better at murder and stuff. Yeah. So, in a situation where we're going to decide that there's an alpha that's going to rule over everybody, it's more than likely that a guy's going to end up on the top of the pile. Yeah. And this is a, a scenario that, like, both men and women can be complicit in. So he's saying, like, you won't get anywhere by just giving that power to women. Like, you can make Hillary Clinton the president. You can make Queen Elizabeth I the queen of England. Yeah. And they'll behave just like the other tyrants because the tyranny is the problem, not the, the yeah, sex of the person who's I mean, the tyrant. You would, you would hope that in modern times people would start to wake up to the, the idea of absolute rule and, and a community that is too large. Uh, there is... I mean, there's a lot to be said for how quickly and untactly we are rushing into, like, a global community, um, especially... But I think that means decentralization. I think that means global multi-villages, not yeah, one that's, village. Yeah, and that's what it should be, but I think that with our current system, the way most people would see it, if they, if you asked them to describe what, what a world government would look like, it would have a leader. It would have a singular person at the head of that government because that's how all the successful superpowers run their business, right? Like the business of being in democracy like it has a leader because that's what serves 
capitalist democracy. Like you, you, you need that person Do at you the top. That? To, I think as a figurehead, yeah, I think like to keep people um, busy in North America and in other like superpowers. But let's get specific. Like, how much power do you think somebody like Barack Obama has? Genuinely, like uh, day to day, that he carries day to day. day. I mean, what can you actually change? Like very little. Yeah, that and I mean that's the whole point is that Pete he's he's supposed to provide the illusion that maybe one person can make a difference it's supposed to be like the ultimate example of a one person making a difference in your life but i feel uh, like it's it's truly not i mean the number of people who are making the decisions and who are like in part of making the decision uh now it's just it's too numerous to i would go as far down. as saying like the only um opportunity available to somebody who's interested in being a leader yeah. is leading people in a direction they already want to go that's the only th- thing that leadership is now is there's already a, a movement that's starting on, over certain issues that are coming up from the grassroots and you those that that group will allow you to be the figurehead if you stay on script i don't think yeah. that there's room anymore for that kind of like egotistical mad person who's able to just like rally the crowds you basically rally the crowds by telling them what they want to hear and if you're the yeah. person who's willing to like put aside what you actually believe and stay on script, you can get a lot of power that way. And I think that that's why there's so many empty suit politicians now is that they're just blank screens that people can project whatever they want. But I wonder, I wonder if that we're not reaching sort of ahead in this, this whole process where I think the, even the election of Justin Trudeau, which was unexpected for me. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen in that election. I didn't honestly think that he was going to run out of it the way he did um and if we if we get bernie sanders as a president south of the border it's gonna be the first time in like decades in which both america and canada have uh elected people that are like manifest uh, heroes of the common cause right where you, you just you you haven't had a leader who has been so specifically active in trying to dismantle all the things that are pissing off young people mm. as like Bernie Sanders or even Justin Trudeau. I mean, he's but still are you learning. familiar he's with the history of the two countries. Like, I think what the anomaly was is post Reagan, there was kind of an insanity. Like there was an echo for about 25 years where they dismantled a lot of the good stuff that our grandparents built. Yeah. And we're just kind of sobering up from that now. Uh, yeah, like, I think. Wait a minute, the baby boomers fucked up everything. And I think we got to start putting it back together again. This next ten years is going to reveal a lot about what's broken about the electorate system. I mean, if Bernie Sanders doesn't get elected, with the if like I just. It, but isn't Trump doing the same thing on the other side? Like, he's telling the same story from the other point of view. He's saying, like, the government is fucked up and you should trust the private business people to fix it because we don't believe in any of those institutions. No, but I'm, but he's posing it as, I'm the right man for the job. I'm the singular man that could put you all back on track to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Bernie Sanders is openly saying things like we're in this together we're in this together I, I i even if you elect me president that's not enough it's not enough for you to just simply cast a vote for me and expect me to fix all the problems i need your continued support and help to do my job and if i get the eight years maybe we can get something done 
But if you just simply elect me and then you uh, go back to the status quo of being complacent and just like whatever's happening, like there's someone in the White House for the next four years, we don't have to think about that anymore until election period comes up again. Then you just become this like complacent non-participant in the yep. political system. And he's and old enough to know that's that's the reason why FDR did all of those things. Like when Roosevelt was elected and the the stock market was in the toilet and things like that, he brought together the labor leaders mm-hmm. from the country and he said, "Listen, I agree with you. There's a lot of things that we need to fix about um, social programs to support American workers." Yeah. But you have to force me to do it. I don't have the ability to just do this. Uh, I don't have the power to implement this. Yeah. So you guys need to go and you need to do labor strikes and you need to get your heads beat in and you need to like cause some strife to the point where like the people who own the factories beg for intervention. That's yeah. when things change. Like, so, and the the sad thing is, is that you know. Bernie has a lesser chance of being elected because he doesn't have the kind of money that's backing him. And he won't, uh, no, he no, won't, he's he, doing fine. He won't bow to the lobbyists that like the money will really come out next year or this he's year. Doing fine. You know? I, I, as somebody who follows this stuff yeah, pretty closely, he, him and Trump are running away with things like it hasn't gone mainstream yet, but you can tell just by the, the buzz in the background noise, like yeah. who is actually doing well and who's not. Yeah. You don't hear anything about Hillary Clinton. No. Nobody talks about Hillary Clinton. Uh, Nobody Facebook, talks about Ted Cruz. It's, Facebook all, is it's really, all Sanders and Trump. Facebook is a really good indicator, as it was last time, like the first Obama election and just how big it was on Facebook and how he was not even not even directly, indirectly just taking advantage of the fact that social media was willing to get behind him. Like Bernie, uh, Bernie is a really great internet like sensation right now where people love to post stuff about him and love to get behind him and it's like even the people who might not be paying enough attention to what's actually going on and what he believes in are like mindlessly sharing his content which is shitty because they're not really participating in the political process but they are still helping the better choice to be elected it's an interesting kind of thing to look at them both as internet candidates right where you say Trump's, they're both have superpowers as internet candidates. Trump's superpower is that he's got that Rob Ford routine down. He's where sensational. All yeah. you need to do is say something crazy every week, and you'll always make, be in the headlines. And then that's free advertising. You don't need to pay. By the way, Brilliant. this. By the way, this mic sucks. Whoever set up this goddamn mic's not getting paid. The son of a bitch. Send him outside. It's ten below zero. Did you Did you see that video? Where Trump like freaks out over the the microphone. Yeah. That's that's I totally like. There's too many pops in this microphone. Yeah, that's that's totally. He was totally scripted. Just like I'll go out there and say something crazy. That was like a such a plant. Like mm-hmm. why would he go so far like, and call the dude a son of a bitch unless he was trying to get fucking people to pay attention? Did to him? you read the Scott Adams stuff about no. Trump? No. So Scott Adams has uh, gotten a little bit of like Scott Adams is the illustrator that did uh, Dilbert for years, right? And still does Dilbert. He, he's gotten, like, a mild amount of, like, internet celebrity over the last six months because in the early days when Trump was tied with the other candidates, he watched the debates, and he was the only person that wasn't surprised by Trump's early frontrunner status and also predicted that not only Trump would win the primary but would go on to win the presidency in a landslide. And he did this from the point of view 
of being an amateur hypnotist and he noticed certain techniques that Trump was using that are obviously the training of, of being an amateur hypnotist as well. Right. And then he looked into the background of Trump and of course he's friends with Tony Robbins, he's friends with Bill Clinton, they're friends with this other hypnotist training guy. They're all part of the same little club and they all use the same techniques in their rhetoric to put ideas in people's oh, heads. I mean, it's there's simple... Uh, simple things at play there too that like you don't need to be a hypnotist to understand like just repetition of a phrase or of the same thing over and over and over and over is the way into an idiot's fucking heart is just to repeat something and to repeat it and repeat it and make it sound powerful there's there that's an element of it definitely but the way he breaks it down is more clinical like he talks about anchors in terms of speech and how like certain words are more effective anchors than others and they're more memorable than others and the ability of a person to be able to work though that language in elegantly and have it not sound completely forced is, yeah. is talent in his eyes and so he was saying he was he was uh, assessing all of the candidates just based on their persuasion skills and making predictions as to what's going to happen next by that so I think that that's, that's Trump's side of it. That's his superpower, and that's what makes him internet savvy. Mm -hmm. Sanders, on the other hand, is interesting from the point of view that previously, like, you could never be in a presidential election and be able to fit within, like, the Fox News format where you've got two minutes to talk. You could never talk about big ideas like reforming Social Security or um, single-payer Medicare these aren't things that work on Fox News when Bill O'Reilly is shouting at you, right? And it doesn't work on your 20-second commercial in between, like, Advil and fucking adult diapers, yeah. right? These are things that, like, when you have the ability to have a two-hour podcast where you sit down and you lay out blow by blow, did you know the United States is the only industrialized country that doesn't have Medicare? Do you yeah. know that the United States spends more on... You know all of the all yeah. of the statistics the that average talking there's a points. small sliver of the left that reads all these books in college and we kind of know it the rest of the, our lives yeah but the the average Joe doesn't realize that things have changed since their grandfather was an adult and that like the standard of living has actually gone down for all of us in North America Absolutely. since the 70s and I'm, these are nuanced things that like now that there's podcasts and now that there's long format interviews to support it. A person like Bernie Sanders has a much easier time going up to a podium and citing buzzwords yeah. that people like immediately know. I know what that's about. And the people beside them that are like, oh, I didn't follow that. Here, I'll send you links to these five or six articles. And think it's all enabled by the Internet. It yeah. used to be back in the old days, you'd have to have a stack of fucking books that you'd have to hand over to somebody and newspapers yeah. in order to get up to speed. Well, And even something like, you know... Uh, I've seen a lot of things going around about Hillary Clinton who used to, you know, be pals with Bernie Sanders and sort of like support him and has said like a bunch of nice things about him before is now naysaying a bunch of his policies and naysaying him and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, before you might not have the access to find actual instances like, you know, pullable instances of Hillary Clinton 
double talking and like mm. and going back on something oh, she said that's, four that's years a good ago. Point too. But now you can, and mm-hmm. now it gets posted on Tumblr and shared forty thousand times. Where it's like Hillary Clinton, two thousand one, says she supports blah blah blah. Two thousand sixteen slams Bernie Sam- Sanders for supporting blah blah blah. It's those kind of like one-off images they mm-hmm. get shared forty thousand, fifty thousand, six thousand times. The odd thing too is like in the minds of the journalists, th- these people are are only human. Yeah. And they have like a limited memory, limited recall, and sometimes the ability to get confused by politicians' bullshit and smoke screens, right? Rachel Maddow had a really great segment on YouTube where she was talking about being conflicted. Yeah. Because on the one hand, she's a feminist and she wants to see the, the ceiling broken for Hillary Clinton to become president. On the other hand, she's like, Today, Hillary is, like, an unabashed supporter of, like, gay marriage and gay rights and things like that. Wind back the clock to when Clinton was in office, and they Clinton actually signed a bill that was, like, banning gay marriage and stuff. Right. And there was all these excuses and things after the fact about why it was a bill that was going to prevent something worse from happening. But Sanders, on the other hand, she, she was saying... On the floor of the Senate, like, in 97, was unabashedly saying that this is the the wrong thing to do and he was supporting uh gay marriage and you know an advocate from the beginning yeah and this is a guy that like marched with martin luther king and like he you know say what you will he's he's got integrity the dude's closet is clean "Hmm." you're not going to go back and find where he's fucked up and taken a different stance on something you are going to find a very consistent bernie sanders dating all the way back to the 70s you Mm -hmm. know where he's like the same guy He's got the same values and the same moral compass, and he's gotten to where he is, where now he's a viable candidate for presidency without bowing to any lobbies, without giving up his morals, without becoming a fucking political shill like almost every other fucking candidate. The other thing that, that that's interesting about now is uh, House of Cards, I think, was really illustrative. Like You watch House of Cards, and immediately you understand the mindset of a Clinton type of family. Like, it's obviously what it's based on, especially, like, if you get into the conspiracy theories about the odd assassin or the odd suicides and things that have been associated with them well, in the past. yeah, the one dude, um, what's his face? Uh, Vince something, I think, but he was said to maybe have had a affair with Hillary Clinton and then mm. wound up committing suicide with a note that was not in his handwriting. And Ooh. that's like Ooh, gooey. not not talked about very often. That's one of those conspiracy theory things where when someone brings it up, everyone's like, ah, that's crazy. She's an amazingly accomplished person, too, because I, w- I was surprised to read on her Wikipedia page. She's been in Washington since she was like 17 years old. She yeah. was already hu- hustling and involved in the, the, the trajectory that she's on. Before she knew Bill Clinton, like oh, Bill yeah, Clinton yeah. was like kind of a sidetrack from her rise to her, her ambitions. Because she just time. became the president's wife for like a number of years, right? Well, she was the she had reconciled her, herself to living in Arkansas and being the governor's wife for a while before yeah. he decided to get higher ambitions. And maybe she was part of that. Like she's been pushing him to to go higher and higher. Up Wouldn't surprise me because mm-hmm. now look where she is. Right now mm-hmm. she wants to take the reins. She installed her husband as the as the precursor to her reign because the only way that she's going to get elected is on the basis of a political dynasty, mm. right? Where there's been a Clinton before and we know we can cl- trust the Clinton name and we know who she is because she was just 
a step away a from the president, breath. a hair's breadth from the president for eight years. You know, like who who could be a better woman for the job? Mm-hmm. Did you see that great photo of Clinton and uh, Bloomberg from New York? Uh, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, they're all playing golf and they got like their arms around each other. No, it's weird. It's, it's illustrative because many people argue that Bill Clinton was a Republican president. Right. He did most of the things that the Republicans wanted to do. And I think that we get a little bit confused because we, get, we, we grew get up with up. them and we in the 90s kind of have a golden glow to them now. Yeah. And he was le- he was socially progressive. Yeah. So peace times is post post economic crash pre 9/11 mm-hmm. 90s world is this really like, you know, it, it, where our president was appearing on the Simpsons as like playing a joke saxophone. character playing saxophone and like even the whole blowjob scandal while like the republicans tried to make that seem very serious nobody else took very seriously it was a very like just openly joked about thing it was just monologue material for every late night hey, comedian anybody ever notice i got a penis nose <laughs> oh that depends on what your definition of is is <laughs> eating ain't cheating <laughs> This is what I thought. I was very confused <laughs> the whole time, too. It's like, okay, so putting a cigar in a woman's vagina is sex? Eating ain't cheating. <laughs> hey, uh, come on. Hey, come, come on now. It's a hard whoa, job. Whoa, there. I gotta Just, relax. Every once in a while, a president needs to relax, too. What are they What are they hiring the 19-year-olds for, anyway? Uh, well... <laughs> We solved a lot of questions, I think. We solved a lot of... We made well, a lot of progress tonight. We have, we have some ideas, I think. Podcasts... From, we should even... If we can, we should look into maybe trying to get into Long Winter. Just get inside and do a podcast from it. A video podcast from inside. That's the thing. You're throwing down the gauntlet. I know. It's a couple days, but... <laughs> it's... it's the. I mean, Galleria Mall is going to get torn down in a year... If they're doing this like long winter, and it's probably only going to be a one-off. They'll never let them do it again because the mall's going to get trashed. Probably be a really interesting thing to film, especially not from just like a very utility. Like, let's go film some bands and film the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Let's do like a, you know, let's walk around. And... The word Galleria reminds me of Terminator Two. That's the only other time I've heard that. The Galleria, Galleria yeah. Mall. They ask where John Connor is, and is that the Galleria? The Galleria. The go oh, the Galleria. <laughs> Mr. Pat- Mr. Patrick, Mr. Patrick, Mr. Patrick, you run real good. Let's oh, animate that. Robert Patrick. I wonder if he'll come back in the new X Files. You Have you been th- watching it? Yep. What'd you think? Uh you know, I think they're on track. Hmm. I, th- it's in- it's immediately better than season eight and nine of X Files, right? Which are travesties of television. They get rid of Mulder for almost two entire seasons. Robert Patrick takes over. Uh, and then the last episode is just a shambly, like, layman's explanation beat for beat of what happened in the original series, where they're like, right. and then Agent Scully and Mulder found this out, and this led to this guy, who then died. And then they learned this guy was in the conspiracy with the smoking man. And, like, it's two an straight alien hours. An iceberg. Yeah, two straight Scully's hours. alien baby. Yeah. And then now it seems... I really have you watched it? No. You watched, okay, but uh, I was I was listening to 
office coworkers describe their disappointment in it. And then I suggested a number of things that I thought would be cool if they were rebooting the X-Files. And they were like, yeah, that would have been better. <laughs> so far, first episode is very much, uh, I'll give you a no spoilers rundown of it. Super fast paced and... Spoil everything. I'm not going to... I just want you to enjoy it. I don't want to watch it. Spoil everything. Okay. So in this, in the first episode of the X-Files, it's a very like fast paced... I don't. They haven't really reconciled a whole bunch about what they've been doing for 14 years. Um, but Scully's now working as a, as a doctor. Oh. Mulder's like living off the grid kind of deal where he's still Demon like bomber? semi-employed at the government, but he hasn't been in to work for 14 years. Oh, that's good. Something like that, which is really confusing because at the end of the X-Files, he kills a super soldier and then goes on military trial and gets convicted for like murder and then they escape. Oh, and that and and like the implication being that like they have to get off the continent. Skinner tells them, "Oh, you have to get off the continent in the next twenty four hours, or you'll never escape." That's like the literal quote he tells them, and mm. then it shows them escaping and kind of having one last uh, um, embrace in a bed before they leave. So I guess the the idea was supposed to be that it was going to be, you know, impossible for them to live normal lives after that. And then here they are in the new series. Scully's just like a doctor and at one point Mulder's standing inside of a government building mm-hmm. it's just like well okay so they're not ever going to explain that I don't think about why that's not correlating with them being convicts um, but the whole first episode sort of amounted to them being like well everything you figured out about the conspiracy in those first six seven seasons was a smokescreen to keep you busy uh... and in reality there basically, there's only ever been a few aliens that have come to Earth, and the government has actually just been replicating their technology and flying around their ships and abducting people. This like crazy shadow government in an attempt to just sublimate the people and like take over the planet. Thank God. I hope. I hope. I hope they're going to integrate David Ike's twelve foot tall lizard people. That is the new. That's the new shit. That's it's the still, contemporary. They're still dealing with the whole idea of like, well, they took all the DNA out of the alien corpses they, they got from crashes at Roswell and stuff yes. like that, and they tried to make hybrids, and they've created all these like abnormalities in human genetics by forcefully introducing alien genetics, and they've come up with crazy medicines and technologies and like free energy. They've had free energy. Since the since the forties, but they've never given it to anyone. They've had zero point energy, and they just keep it for themselves because Excellent. they make everyone pay for oil, and they keep the gas companies on top and keep that machine running. Mm-hmm. It's all like plays into that the conspiracy they were learning about was just completely constructed to fit their own what they wanted to hear that it was right. like an alien invasion incoming, and that we've been feeding you enough to keep you going. Yeah, but like like warring aliens, you're not even close. Warring aliens were like fighting with each other and like going to take over the earth. Like all that stuff was just a sidebar to what was actually going on, which was a bunch of men being nefarious and shitty, like even way yeah. worse than you could ever imagine. So that was like the beat of the first episode. It was really fast paced and gave you a lot of information about that. That was like. That shows you like an alien craft floating is like boom, shows you the government man destroying it and like flying in with a UFO and killing this woman who is like gonna break the story. Like, it's it's real on the nose. And then right right away into the second episode, it's like monster of the week stuff right. again, where it had like 
even that campy like like background music where it's always just like meandering what could have left footprints like this yeah meandering sort of half goofy cheesy like dark music avian footprints it's like if randy newman and john carpenter got together and wrote the soundtrack for something Mm. um it's it's like it's what people want it's gonna be what people want honestly like if it's six episodes give it the whole arc the people who are mad about season eight and nine being not good and they have that series sort of fizzling out in a bad ending are gonna get a proper ending they're Mm -hmm. gonna get exactly what they wanted from chris carter and they should shut up and enjoy it for what it is or if like you don't like it i mean like it's probably that you'll never feel affinity for that show again unless it was you could go back in time and film more episodes in 1995 right? and make it look and feel like that again. Like, David Duchovny's never going to be 27 years old again. Well, I, I felt like they could have done a couple of things. I thought that they could have done a soft reboot where they introduce new detectives mm, no. that are not working in the government and are activists and stuff, and they're, they're noticing strange things on a grassroots level. They get the X-Files and somehow. Mulder and Scully could have been like more high level bureaucrats that have been pulled into the center circle. Yeah. I, I really liked the idea when they were th- talking about rebooting Ghostbusters of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd coming back, but as the villains. And they had set up, they'd become like corporate Ghostbusting shills. Yeah. That were just, you know, awful and fat and giant billionaire terrible people they almost did that with the second one where they were sort of implying that they had become shitty people but not like the way you're talking about i do like that idea that maybe bill murray is the villain i mean they're releasing that new ghostbusters reboot and oh it looks terrific that's an amazing is there a trailer for it they um they have set photos that have leaked but just the idea of like okay they're gonna do bridesmaids but it's gonna be ghostbusters i'm like that'll work that's gonna be great yeah and i think maybe they'll they'll be room for a bill murray dan Aykroyd cameo (laughs) somewhere that's like I want real Dan Aykroyd, though. I want the Crystal Skull Dan Aykroyd, who's who's standing in the infomercial talking to you about like Mayan powers <laughs> that, that were derived from the Crystal Skull and how like filtering vodka through diamonds like infuses it with some sort of power. <laughs> I don't think you're ever gonna get that again. That's gotta be him in the new Ghostbusters we're, movie. He can't be playing Ray. It's gotta be he's playing Dan Aykroyd. We're gonna and, we're gonna lose all those people sooner or later, Jesse. Hmm. This year, we've been <laughs> been losing them like flies. Oh, yeah. People have been going Abe, dying like Abe crazy. Vigoda. Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda from The Godfather. He died? He, he fucking died. <laughs> 93. He died the other day. It's Nine, fun. 93 oh. years old. And there was like, it was like funny because there was an internet joke years back. It was like a running gag of like Abe Vigoda has died because he was so old and like... <laughs> uh, but it, so when the story first broke... It was super popular on Facebook that it was just another version of the joke. Everyone thought it was a joke until it was confirmed by all the big stations that he was actually dead. And everyone was like, ooh, pulling their collar. Hey, Pagoda. I remember when Robin Williams died, there was rumors that there had been Reddit posts where somebody was like saying, isn't it sad that Robin Williams will be dead soon? And people yeah. were like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then there was like speculation that it was Robin Williams that was... <laughs> Ew. posting the things like kind of giving people a warning 
Yeah, that's fucking weird. It's almost a year since, uh, like, my favorite comedian and one of my, like, biggest current influences died of a heroin overdose. Oh, the comedy bang Her- bang guy? Her- well, Harris Whittles, yeah. He mm. worked for Parks and Rec and mm. Sarah Silverman and Eastbound and Down. All great shows. And he was just a Heroin. Fucking- yeah, he was an amazing comedy mind. And it's really something where, like, he, he opened up on podcasts in a way... Uh, where you just get to know so much about him, you ha- you really have to listen to Analyze Fish. <laughs> It'll give you a different perspective on the band Fish. I don't like them still. Mm-hmm. I'm very much on Scott Ackerman's side of like Fish is just not a good band unless you're on a bunch of drugs and you're at a Fish show. Yeah, that's the way people enjoy it. Um, In terms of minisodes, I I wouldn't mind uh, trying that format where you pose topics. Right, Fish discuss because i can do that i have a lot of of insights that have been building up i'm subtly judging everything in my life so i I usually have an opinion about how i feel about oh based on what i've heard in that podcast i could play you like three songs that guaranteed to make you laugh super hard Mm. i don't know anything about fish i don't know anything about fish i don't know anything about the grateful dead other than that they're famous it's one of the you know how like Beatles, right? Before you go through your Beatles phase, you know the Beatles because it's in every goddamn car commercial. But let's not put Fish in with the Beatles. But Grateful (laughs) Dead. Grateful Dead is just as famous as the Beatles, but like I have absolutely no cultural radar. I don't know what their music sounds like at all. And it's funny that they can be that famous. I'm not that the type of person that like is sounds a little a, bit like this. For twenty minutes. Really? And what what about it appeals to people who are on acid? It's like, man, you just drop your bean and you fucking just groove. <laughs> like they get on these grooves, man, these jams, these fucking fourteen minute jams and like they make sound shapes and it's different every time. It's like Legit, just like <laughs> like well, they, you build it. You build a basic song structure, and then you just leave yourself these big, huge gaps in which you can wank and noodle and play around in. And from what I can tell, a fish show is all the fish songs are. You get like two minutes of singing, and the lyrics are just god awful. And then they just jam for fourteen minutes, and then they do a bunch of unceremonious covers of much better bands. Like they'll do uh, "Love and Cup" by Rolling Stones, or like a bunch of good Talking Head songs, like "Find a City." Grateful Dead or Fish? Fish. 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 Okay. A, bi- a big part of them is like they're they're a cover band as much as they are like an original. Right. And they have hundreds of live show releases because they record every single show they play live, mm-hmm. and they've let people bootleg their shows from the crowd. So they have a huge community where, like, every single show has, like, multiple angles and, like, multiple takes of this, like, same concert you can download. And it's just a total nostalgic wank-off party. They're going to be all over VR. You just need one of those VR sticks to record the, the show, and then you can, like, actually move through the crowd and stuff. That is, I've, the second I heard about Google Glass and the fact that it could record uh, and that it could, like, talk to other Google Glass in the room as, like, you can instantly start building three-dimensional spaces in a fish concert shows. or just a fish show or just any kind of concert in which there's enough space not everyone's in a seat people are standing and like kind of looking around or moving 
is if everyone's got Google Glass on or just got their little camera on somewhere in their like periphery and there's like 11, 12 people in the room. Shit, go to a, go to channel 11,502. This guy's making out with his hot girlfriend. But, but no, it's it's even like I'm thinking of the VR aspect and like of that 3D environment, which I'm really like, this is a whole episode we needed to do. Mm-hmm. There's an episode on VR because this is the year of VR. Oh! Play, PlayStation's coming you know out with their headset. That would be an excellent first implementation. Mm-hmm. Whatever we talk about at the end of an episode is what we talk about at the beginning of the episode. That's the prompt. So next, then they would all hook together in like one endless chain. The next episode is going to be the all VR, VR. episode because I have a lot to talk about there. But I was like one of the things. And we'll have to print thinking. out all VR on a giant sign and we'll just put it in the background and we'll just be it'll be looming over us whenever yeah. the topic goes too far away. Yeah. Remember, remember all that VR. VR. Anyways, as a closing note. Yes. A dream I had about Google Glass, which I was kind of sad to see Google Glass go, is that you could have a local show, 11, 12 people all wearing Google Glass, and have an algorithm that's putting all of their feeds together. Mm -hmm. It's all the same quality video. It's all from the same kind of camera. It's all in the same room. It's all just from different angles. So once it finds, like, it can use the lights and it can use, like, the corners of the room to find the barriers, and it can just start building a 3D environment and where this concert's going on. So then you can start leaning around, you can walk around the room. That's how like, instead of having these like incredibly complicated camera setups to film VR stuff, you crowdsource it by putting cameras on everyone and then you just let people build the environment by walking around and looking and being a part of the the act of filming. Like that is something that I think is yet to be like It's tapped. Google's trick. That's, that's how yeah. they build maps, right? They yeah. have... They're, guilt- they're getting data from the Android phones and building stuff with that information. Yeah, and imagine just like, you know, if, and, you know, we don't know what our phones are doing or what our tablets are doing and stuff like that. I have a Google tablet. I have an Apple phone. I have n- no idea whether or not the f- camera is ever on. You know, Your dick f- is in the cloud. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Most of our dicks and tits and butts, they're all up in that cloud. And... You know, some people would say it's paranoid to put like duct tape over your laptop camera, but in that same in that same breath, like the technology to hack your laptop and turn your camera on remotely exists and is not uncommon. Like that is something that a number of people could do. It's not this like sought after magical trait to be a hacker anymore. People can all learn how to do it and can all do it with like automated programs. So you you do have to sort of surrender yourself to like, well, if you want cameras and everything you own, you have to sort of be okay with the fact that they might always be recording or always taking pictures but the positive spin on that is that if everyone's phone is constantly taking pictures and constantly taking video and like taking geo data for that and like linking up to the same server eventually we get to build like google street view that goes inside all the stores and all the houses and all the everything that's just a map of earth let's see what jesse's doing well, not in not even in real time, but you build like you could like expand the current system to where like the entirety of Dufferin Mall is mapped out, and like so y- you like oh. there's a pretty good Sims simulation of each of the people that work there. You kind of got their script down. Well, you, you know, it's like the guy at Radio Shack, even in virtual reality, is kind of a dick. I'm thinking, I'm thinking even the more <laughs> rudimentary level of just having the street view uh, expand to like a sort of commerce view where. You know, malls sometimes are super annoying, and I, for one, would definitely take advantage of the fact that, like, if a mall I'd never been to was mapped out, 
completely and you could see all the stores and you could walk around in it, I'd be like, oh, how do I get to this mall? And then once I get to this mall, how do I get to the store I want to go to? Because I don't want to have to fucking just walk around and find a map. Yeah. And I can plan my way what entrance am I and going And I can in, imagine one of going? the neat tools for the existing version of Google Glass is being able to have a heads up map. Yeah. At all times. So where you're going. if you're just at Disney World or whatever, you've got a map in your glasses that tell you, oh, I'm going to the washroom over here. And has yeah. Arrows. There's a, there's a reason a, a really well-designed head up, heads-up display in a video game is, uh, is super important to the immersion into the game, right? Like a, an intuitive and a believable interface that starts to feel like part of your vision like starts to feel like a part of you as you're playing the game uh allows you to suspend your disbelief a little more and like get into that world a little more like a heads-up display people don't think about it a lot but like that kind of design menu design and heads-up display not being too intrusive and not feeling like a video game allows for such a, a greater depth of uh, immersion for somebody and that will especially be important now that they were moving into the vr age where you're going to have to rethink the way a heads-up display works because now their head is inside of the game, right? You're viewing, like, this complete uh, moving 360 world around you. 360 vision would be pretty for pretty fun. Yeah. Being able to see in all directions and then playing that for so many hours that your brain starts to rewire. It gets used to being able to see behind you. Yeah, that'd be pretty crazy. If you have, like, a 360 view, that'd be fucking awesome. But... I think I'm definitely going to save up and buy Oculus. No, because I have a PS4 oh. now, and so the they're bringing out the PlayStation Morpheus, which is their code name for it. I'm sure it's not going to be called it's that. It's VR, I think. I think it's just, just PlayStation maybe, VR. I hope that's what it's called because they just had CES. Awesome. It was at CES. Yeah, and it's it's probably like it's not going to be the price point of Oculus because they would never release something that costs more than its console. They, so they always lose money on the hardware sony's cool with losing money on hardware because they they're proven to have longevity like the playstation 3 is still having games made for it the playstation 2's life cycle didn't end until two years ago and they're smart enough to know that when it comes to these things it's always the games the games so if you've got like a huge library of stuff and you don't have to worry about licensing if you sell me a fucking headset a vr headset for like 150 200 bucks and 10 awesome vr games it's not even just about that like if you can make it so that skyrim has a a proper refresh rate and it works perfect that's enough yeah skyrim grand theft auto that's enough and the one thing that just like i know we probably haven't done a a podcast episode since i've become completely obsessed with no man's sky i don't even i don't know i don't know what that is oh that's that's something. Well, maybe when we turn the, the recording off i'll show you a little bit of that and the next episode we'll talk about all vr it's not a v- it's not a VR game. They haven't announced it Yet. as being a VR game. It's coming out in June, mm. but it is a game that is going to change your perception of uh, pre-generated uh, universes and uh, the concept of infinity mm. and and what what kind of entertainment you can expect in like the future what we're actually like where we're just infinity huh that's that's not quite enough for me <laughs> well you're like yeah well i'll show you after this my it, parting note is that i hope that somebody makes an all sex reality game that's in Jesse, some you way don't, you don't have to pray for that to happen no, no, but let me let me be more specific yeah. though 
the only reason that me and Ilya Schwartz play Dragon Age is yeah. to hook up with all the other characters. Right. And the hilarity then ensues when your hideous looking dwarf like has sex with all of the <laughs> good looking people. Good looking babes, yeah. Asteros or whatever. Jesse, it is. I promise you that VR is going to be just as perverted and just as sex based as any other thing. I and, want a more triple so. A title that is just yeah. dating though. Oh, oh, one hundred percent in fantasy realms, yep. like dating on an alien spaceship. Uh-huh. And You're going like, to get it. I hate that. I hate that. Uh, that Mass Effect idea, where it's an aspect of a larger game. No, no, it's yeah. only that. No, aspect. why do you think? Why do you think Facebook paid so much money for Oculus Rift? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think one of those the most popular types of like time killing games have and will be the kind of central social hub where you can create your own avatar <sighs> and you can run around in it. And like, there's not even a point. There's all there's been all of these different things, Second Life and all this stuff. Like even games that had points. Like EverQuest and World of Warcraft have huge communities of people that go on there and just do jack shit. Mm-hmm. They don't do any of the quests. They don't run around. They talk. They talk to other yep. people. They use it as like a chat room, a glorified chat room. If you don't think that Facebook knows VR chat rooms are going to be a fucking hilarious return to what we had in like the late 90s and early 2000s in terms of chat room popularity – that's exactly why they spent that money on it because you're going to be able to immerse yourself in this like second life world where someone you'll be able to walk around and look at people and like chalk and like emote and stuff like that and fuck digital <laughs> avatars of other people in the world and hook up that way. It's coming. It's probably going to come this year or yep. next year. It's like already in development. What we're talking about is like the porn industry is going to eat VR up. Because there's already been all sorts of like weird inventions that things that'll like suck your dick, like weird digital attachments that you put around your dick and it like simulates someone sucking your dick and like syncs it up to a video. You think or Margaret Atwood's the long pen? Are you familiar with that? No. She is a patent holder on this device that she invented, which is basically a pneumatic robotic arm, Mm -hmm. and. Uh, it's it's connected via the internet to a pen that she's holding mm. and what it did is after a series of like legal arguments it's now the official instrument that's used by like diplomats and things right. if the president needs to sign a piece of legislation and he's not in washington he can use this robotic arm to sign the document and it's, and like it's like a legally binding yeah because it's his it's, hand signing it it's his hand signing it and that's exactly the kind of thing that you could have for like a porn star right where yeah. she's got like a direct connection to your hand job machine but it's like and then you pay her like you know a thousand dollars and she'll actually move the thing yeah and but that even you. that expands to you know long distance couples or even just like a more like we haven't really explored the idea of like internet sex in a way until now in the way that the lawnmower man promised once us. once we have these like helmets and we have things that like were like you, you could realistically you could wear like a full body suit that had all sorts of it's like could touch your skin and like tweak your nipples and like play with you all over the place just like you know wear a whole suit and two people are basically or just give you a hug doing let's, let's doing that PG. well doing that to each other over the internet and you know like you're basically having sex with someone or having someone do something to you that's beyond your control or like, you know, within the safety of your own house where you can say stop or no or any of that kind of stuff. Like there are going to be those weird advances that take uh, internet dating and like kind of casual sexual encounters to 
weird new places through VR and right. like the internet. And can you be accused of rape if you're not even in the same country no. as the person? No, that's that's the beauty. But what of if it you're like, unconsensual digital sex? With well, somebody. you just get out of your suit. <laughs> and, and I feel like it. Those kind of things. I think these questions are going to come up. Yep. And I think that we need to save material yep. because VR we're going, next we're episode. VR all VR episode. This episode's been brought to you by the Oculus Rift and PlayStation VR. Microsoft, when you throw in your hat into the game. Google Cardboard, just hold your phone up to your face, you cheap shit. Yeah, cheap shit. <laughs> yeah, they'll be cheap soon. Cheap VR. Oculus Rift, sponsor us. Give us free riffs. We'll review it. We'll talk about it episode after episode. I'll wear one every single episode. Or just live your life, people. Just go out, have some adventures, talk to human beings. It's, it's free. It's fucking wintertime, Jesse. <laughs> I'll go have adventures when the sun comes out. For okay. now, I'm going to have some uh, mystical adventures. Anyways, good night, folks. Good night. God bless. Welcome back to season two. Season two. Season Episode two, double electric. zero, this one. Just a, just a test drop. The beta. The beta. Season two, Electric Boogaloo. Bye. Yeah.